and loudly doing the thing you want this person to condemn. Right. Right. Because at the same time that you're talking about Beyonce, you're also telling everybody to vote for Joe Biden. (laughs) You're telling on yourself. You are telling on yourself that you don't actually care about these things in the way that you say everyone else should. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm, uh Real quick, you're listening to X-Ray FM at KXRY Portland at 91.1 and 107.1 FM. And in the Halem, Wheeler, Manzanita, and Rockaway Beach at 91.7 FM. Streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. We got a bunch of texts. I'm going to fire them off. At the end of the day, I'm going to have more respect for any artist using their platform to speak for liberation. Thousand percent. Yes. Thousand percent. Uh, fiance, super, uh, super hope you're on the air today. Just saying two things. Happy Hanukkah and also a whole F no to Renee. Uh, going to run for Renee being Portland's mayor. Gross. Happy Hanukkah. <laughs> um, incredible stuff. Newsflash. Beyonce is not Angela Davis. Bruh. How about go listen to Angela Davis? How about it? <laughs> How about it? Sit there for a second. Because in all honesty, we, again, to the point of the blueprint's there. We don't need, we don't need the new person to do the same thing. We can, the blueprint's there. Yeah. Please do go back and listen to Nina Simone. Yeah. Do watch some of her concert footage where she ain't playing. Right. (laughs) And that there are no cuts. But we can't expect that from people that are loud and proud Capitalists, we absolutely have to stop expecting that. Yeah, yeah. We all want to love uh, Rihanna and and love everything that she does, but she is, uh, you know, head of a lot of things that are uh, mm. doing bad things that harm. You know, like if you if your fashion company is rated worse than she, and I think that we got some things to talk we about. We definitely have some things to talk about. We definitely. I think if, that you oof. know the the rating should just be exploitation. Yeah, <laughs> it should be a rating. Check Number a box one or not. Exploitation, yes or no? Right. Boom, boom. It's not who exploits worse than the other. Uh, another text, folks. Project so much on these strangers, and it's wild. Yes. It is. It is <laughs> yes. Absolute, it's absolutely wild. Man, MJ's back. MJ's back. And we back, big tings, and we back. big tings. I uh, I love these um, text messages. Sorry, I <laughs> should not be looking at them. You've already read them, but it's exciting. Yeah, uh, I'm. I am very happy to be back. We mm. did not get to really talk about uh, all of it. Yeah, you know. Um, but I think that I think the point is made. I think I think what we should be doing is paying attention to actual liberation and not looking for revolutionaries out of entertainers. Mm-hmm. There's a, a very clear difference, a very clear difference. And we are putting their revolutionary things on them. Like yeah, an outfit is it's an outfit. It's guys. an outfit. It's literally an outfit. It's a song. Yeah. But the track record is not, Beyonce the revolutionary. Right. The track record is not most celebrities being revolutionaries. No. And the track record is certainly not 
billionaire revolutionaries. Like, we gotta really just mm. keep these things in mind. Yeah. Your parasocial relationship with these folks is not gonna make them change. They don't know you exist. You can keep saying, you mm. better do this thing. And they don't know you exist. I would love for that energy to be put to the people who are supposed to know you exist. Right. Like because the politicians in your community and nationally. Yeah. They owe us something. They actually owe us. Right. And we are looking at people who don't to save the day. And they're not going to do it. Literally not their job. <laughs> Literally not Literally their job. Their and job. the people who say that they're going to and we elected them to do it are laughing in our face because they don't do their job. Facts. And we don't hold them to account. So, but it is tight for us to, uh, you know, <laughs> talk about Taylor Swift and, and uh, Beyonce and, and what these movies mean. I will say this though, it'd be super dope if she came out and said something in the way of, uh, please don't appropriate my song that mm. seen, seen people take Break My Soul as a anthem for themselves in Israel as <clears throat> the power dynamic mm. is incredibly obvious. Um, it's wild. You are talking about a song that is literally about liberation for oppressed people. And whilst oppressing people. Whilst oppressing an entire people. <laughs> Keep in mind that when you're seeing Israeli people at the Beyonce uh, movie singing You Won't Break My Soul, there are there were 1,200 Israeli people killed on October 7th. There are 16,000 plus Palestinian people dead by now. Uh, and you know what? By yesterday, because mm -hmm. I have no idea what it is in this exact moment. Keep it in mind. Keep it in mind when somebody is, that's why I use the word appropriating. You yeah. are doing a colonization right now. And you don't get to use that song as your song for genocide. Mm. So if it's me, if I'm Beyonce, I'm definitely saying that ain't yeah, for you. Yeah, that ain't it. That doesn't that mean it. it's going to stop it, but I'm right. going to let clear. it be known. I see you doing it and I don't like it. Yeah. Sorry, yep. I ran over. It's quite all right. We love y'all. Today's show made possible thanks to Morgan Jones she back she back she back <laughs> and DJ Ambush and of course our podcast editor Kyle G thank ba -ba 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 -ba. you so much Kyle remember don't let the individuals distract you from the systems poverty is a policy choice people over profits power to the people none of us are free until we are all free thank you so much for listening stay tuned for Tom Hartman bye Don't you know if they move too quick? They're falling down like a domino. All the buzz are men by the now. We got the money on a bet. Gold crocodiles. They snap their teeth on your cigarette. Foreign types with the hookah pipes.
that in the second hour of the program. Also, crazy super hypocrite alert. Brigitte Ziedler of Moms for Liberty fame uh, has now uh, made an, an admission that uh, is getting weirder and weirder. Is this, uh, you know, great mom or mommy dearest or, or, or something altogether different? Hypocrite mom. In the third hour of our program, uh, there are planet tipping points that pose an unprecedented threat to humanity that you need to know about. A new report that just came out. I'll share that with you in the third hour. Uh, very concerning on the one hand. On the other hand, they're also identifying some very positive tipping points that could move us forward. So we'll get to all that. And also in the third hour, the Biden administration on Thursday asserted its authority to seize the patents of costly medications to slash high drug prices. I'll tell you about this called walk-back authority, or walk-in authority, excuse me. And the Trump administration actually tried to end the right of government to do this on behalf of the pharmaceutical industry. Couldn't get it passed or couldn't get it through. Um, the Bush administration refused to enforce this, but it looks like Obama is going to. Uh, a big deal. And I'll share with you that in the third hour of the program. But uh, to start out, uh, the, the Republican debate last night, if you didn't catch it, basically, um, there were two winners. That was Chris Christie and, uh, and Nikki Haley, in that order. Uh, Chris Christie was consistently telling his truth, uh, which by and large was the truth. And it wasn't just Donald Trump is a fascist and Donald Trump is a liar and, you know, that, that sort of thing. It, it was that his, uh, his other three colleagues are afraid to challenge Trump, which is true, that Republicans generally are terrified of this man, that, uh, well, you know, he just, he just laid it out. And, and that Vivek Ramaswamy is one weird guy. I mean, he wrapped the evening up by saying that, uh, you know, 9-11 uh, and uh, actually, I don't recall if he specifically said 9-11, but certainly January 6th was an inside job. Right. Uh, you know, Ramaswamy is going for the QAnon vote. Sadly, the QAnon vote is big enough that it can get you like, you know, on the debate stage. It's not going to get him into the White House, but I don't, you know, obviously he doesn't care about becoming president. If he did, he wouldn't be saying the things he is saying and behaving the way he's behaving. Um, he's going to be running for the House of Representatives or the Senate. Mark my words. And, you know, if he picks the right district, if he picks a place that's red enough, and he's got, I mean, this guy's almost a billionaire from, you know, what appears to be, uh, some are suggesting are like pump and dump schemes that he's been running, you know, stock market hustles. Um, he may have the money to do it. He may have the ability to do it. So, uh, you know, I'll, in, in a few minutes, toss the phone lines open to get your thoughts on last night's debate. You know, what, what did you think about it, if you saw it, or if you just saw clips from it or read about it. My op-ed today over at HartmanReport.com is titled, Dear GOP, You'll Never Wash the Stink Off You or Your Party Ever. You know, after the corruption of the Coolidge and Hoover administrations crashed the nation's economy uh, with the Republican Great Depression in 1929, it took a generation or two for the Republican Party to rid itself of its stink. In fact, I'm going to address this to Republicans. After Nixon extended the Vietnam War as his re-election strategy, frankly, he blew up the negotiations in 68 as his primary, primary election strategy also, leading the unnecessary deaths of tens of thousands of Americans and millions of Vietnamese. It took you Republicans a generation to get rid of the stink of Nixon. But you're never going to get rid of the stink of Donald Trump. Never. 
at least not in the lifetime of anybody today. I mean, Trump's stench is now a tragic but irrevocable part of American history that will last for generations. I mean, the entire world knows the stink of his whipping up a crowd of thousands to try to assassinate the vice president and the Speaker of the House. His minions urinated on the carpets in the hallowed halls of Congress. They smeared feces on the walls. They damaged priceless paintings from the founding era of our country. They murdered police officers protecting our nation's capital. That stink is never going to fade. No matter how often his allies try to rewrite history or blur faces or tell stories about bizarre deep state conspiracies. Do you think Americans would forget the stink of the 30,000 lies documented lies that Donald Trump told America while he was president? Or the lies that he routinely spouts now so often and so bad that Fox News has to put him on time delay and correct, you know, correct the facts when they cover him? How about the reek of his dictator-like statements that he's going to destroy the American civil service and stack our government with corrupt toadies and then imprison his political enemies and send the military into the streets like Maduro has done in Venezuela? Do you really think he'd forget the stink that we would forget the, th the stink of his sucking up to murderous dictators like MBS and Putin and Kim? Now that effluvium is being smeared all over Republican politicians one after another as they follow Trump's orders, no doubt orders he got from Putin to abandon Ukraine. Republicans, you are cowards all covered in your wretched, cowardly, unpatriotic stink. This is the man who tried to blackmail a Democratic ally into manufacturing dirt on his political opponent, withholding aid to Ukraine in the face of Russian attacks. And the stink of that crime was so heinous that he was impeached for it. What about the stink Trump created when he referred to mostly black nations as asshole countries and our veterans who died in wars as suckers and losers? When he told General Mark Milley he didn't want to ever again share the stage with a wounded veteran because it didn't look good. Or when at the height of the pandemic in April 2020, Trump ordered people back to work and began to ridicule wearing masks, leading to hundreds of thousands of unnecessary deaths. According to the British medical journal Lancet, a half million unnecessary deaths because at the time, most of the deaths in America were concentrated in four blue states, Washington, Connecticut, New Jersey, and New York. And Jared Kushner said it'll be an effective political strategy to encourage these deaths and blame them on the Democratic governors. The stink of mass death. That same son-in-law, by the way, who helped hustle $2 billion out of Saudi Arabia, uh, presumably in exchange for looking the other way about murdering a Washington Post journalist, and, and their treatment of women in Saudi Arabia. Speaking of women, do you really believe that the stink of your support, Republicans, for a man credibly accused of rape and sexual assault of over 20 women, including one as young as 13, would just go away even after he was found in a court of law to have raped the first woman whose case finally made it through the court system? Average Americans are struggling to pay their taxes, but Trump pushed through an odious $2 trillion tax cut for himself and his billionaire buddies, creating the largest budget deficit of any president in the history of America. Do you really think America's going to forget the stink of that? Or the stink of Trump's multiple business frauds? He was convicted and forced to pay millions in restitution for his phony Trump University. He was shut down. His, his uh, phony New York charity was shut down. His New York businesses right now have already been found by a judge to be guilty of tax fraud and insurance fraud 
and uh, bank fraud. Uh, all they're trying to decide now, and Trump's in court today, is what the fine is going to be. Or how about the overwhelming stench of tearing babies from their mother's arms at the border and then trafficking them into phony Christian adoption services that then vanished, leaving over a thousand grieving families still not knowing the whereabouts of their little girls and boys. Or the stink from the naked campaign lies that Trump told to get votes, saying, promising, oh, we're going to get a new national health care system. I'm going to revitalize America's infrastructure. I support organized labor. All at the same time he was working against every one of those things. His Department of Labor was actively preventing unionization. Even worse, this adulterer, this guy who had affairs on every single one of his three wives, claims to be a super Christian, never even goes to church, claims he's a Christian, and sincerely religious people believed this guy, not noticing the sulfurous smell that surrounds him. They didn't realize that in actual fact, he was only championing the hypocritical televangelist TV multimillionaires who he had cut a deal with, essentially. He would support their tax evasion if they would support him from the pulpit. When he tried to overthrow an election, he knew he lost by 7 million votes and is trying to th th threatening to try it again. The whole world is aghast at the stink of that tin pot dictator effort and terrified, frankly, that he might try it again. Germans still struggle with the stink of a leader who referred to his political opponents as vermin and promised he was going to root them out, who attacked the press because they told the truth about him, who played on amplify and amplified people's fear of the other. You Republicans will also for generations deal with that stink after Trump himself has long shuffled off this mortal coil. It's pathetic how Republican members of Congress are smearing themselves with the slime that has surrounded Donald Trump his entire criminal life. Have you noticed, Republicans, how many of your colleagues are fleeing? Do you really think you can ever wash that stink off yourself? Seriously, Republicans, do you not think that America knows can smell what's going on? Trump bragging that he's ended women's rights to bodily autonomy, his promotion of guns and assault weapons because his nutcase followers think they're going to, racist followers think they're going to fight in a great civil war, his refusal to do anything about climate change that's now killing Americans every day. America's had a few truly awful presidents, but Donald Trump is the worst. There is nobody as bad as Donald Trump in the history of the United States. This miserable cartoon of a man, his bizarre orange spray tan, his absurd comb over, his compensatory phallic length red ties. America's not going to forget, and many of us are not going to forgive. You will never, Republicans, wash the stink of Donald Trump off yourself. This is the Tom Hartman Program. So now you know what I think. Let's <laughs> say you. We'll be right back. And, and welcome back. Uh, amazing. All righty. I'm going to just grab a call here. Tim in Aloha, Oregon. Hey, Tim, what's on your mind today? Yeah, you know, it's, it's the most wonderful human being on the planet right now is Liz Cheney. <laughs> when, which is saying, reality, which is quite a stretch, you know. You know? Yeah, it's 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 mind-boggling, you know, and I and and I know exactly why she why she she went after Trump, 
you know, and it's, it's pretty obvious. But, you know, Nancy Pelosi and all the MSNBC, they're having her on and they're welcoming her and stuff. You know, what she's done in her career and, you know, until the Trump era started in 2015, who was the most despicable human being in the last generation that caused more mayhem and, and economic and, and, uh, and political trouble? Her, her father. Yep. You know, and people just, people just don't get it. And she still so supports him and his policies and the well, whole neocon well, yeah, agenda. That's, that's the whole point. You see what I mean? Yeah. What she's doing is she's she's trying to change history a little bit because Doris Kearns Goodwin and Michael Beschloss and all these historians, she wants her father put on the back burner a little bit. You see what I mean? That's basically what I You know, I get that. I, I, I really think that she does believe uh, most of what she says. I, I, I think that there is, oh, yeah. you know, and always has been a part of, of the American electorate, the Republican Party, the conservative movement that just doesn't trust the average working person, that doesn't trust organized labor, that thinks that America should be purely a meritocracy, that the smartest and wealthiest should be running the country. I think there's a large element of Calvinism in there, the belief that you know the proof of God's favor, the proof of, of God's blessing is wealth. And and you know right. all that kind of stuff. And we talk, we talked about that before. And you know, there's only been literally two in the last 122 years. There's been two good Republican presidents: Roosevelt, from because McKinley was assassinated, and Eisenhower. That's it. Yeah. Well, Taft, them, Taft wasn't terrible, but but you know, yeah, it wasn't he, he terrible. But the work overall, that Roosevelt started. Started. yeah, in in terms of the yeah, and you have to look at that first 20, 20 years of the 20th century. You know, yeah. Yeah. with the you know Wilson ran on the. Well, I kept us out of war, right? You know what yeah. happened after that? Yeah, you know? Wilson was pretty bad, and he was a Democrat. And I'll yeah. be the first to say he was yeah. pretty bad. You know, between alien yeah, and sedition right. and and uh, you know getting us into World War One. Although you know, well, looking back on it, yeah. well, anyway, I, I don't want to get into a discussion. The Treaty of Versailles is what what put Hitler in power. You know, yeah. people don't understand that. You know, you had a proud Teutonic educated nation that turned into a slum. Basically, how long were they going to put up with that? Yeah, that's true. So they had to look for somebody. And to John bail Maynard them out. Keynes exactly was 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 warning Wilson not to do it, and Wilson did it anyway. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I wish people, if people could put things in historical perspective, we could understand exactly what's going on now. Because at the turn of the, uh, the, the 19th century, or the 20th century, you had the Mellons and the Rockefellers. Now it's the Coke Industries and the Mercers, you know? Yeah. <laughs> think about the more things change, the more they remain the same. Well, and, and then, you know, we had, we had uh, the, the, the newspaper barons, you know, William Randolph Hearst and Joseph Pulitzer trying to outdo each other right. with yellow journalism. And now that's uh, Elon Musk and Jeff Zuck and uh, uh, Zucker yeah, Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg. And it works. Like, you know, it works. You know, uh, what's happening with, especially with, you know, as much, we have all the information in the world available at our fingertips, and people are less informed than they were 50 years ago. That's the scary part. Yeah. Because they can just pick and choose what they want to listen less to. Less informed, but more well and entertained. <laughs> and that's exactly it. And that's why, that's, that's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Tim, thanks for the call. Always nice to hear from you. Yeah. Appreciate it. 22 minutes past the hour. We'll be back with more of the news of the day and your calls in just a moment. Um, the stink continues with Trump's proposed loyalty first cabinet picks. I'll tell you about that after the break, and I'll be picking up your calls. Stay tuned. Change starts with you. You can be calling your Democratic or Republican representatives to let them know what you think by calling 202-224-3121. It's the Capitol switchboard. It'll get you right through to them. 
So a lot of people are wondering, why is it in America that we can't have nice things? Why don't we have, you know, the same things every other democracy has. Every other democracy in the world has a national health care system of some form, and everybody is covered. We don't. We've got 27 million un uninsured people and over 100 million underinsured people. Why is that? Why is it that every other country in the world offers college education very inexpensively, if not for free, and for here you go to debt? Why is it that we've got our public schools crumbling and other, other countries are doing well? Why is it that we've got Medicare being taken apart by this Medicare Advantage scam and nobody will do anything about it? Well, it turns out the reason why has, it boils down to one thing, one Supreme Court decision, Citizens United, legalizing the bribery of our politicians. There's a whole rant about this over at, at uh, HartmanReport.com. Uh, I think you're, you're going to find it very, very useful. Check it out. Welcome back. So uh, Axios is reporting this morning, and this is um, uh, somewhere between horrifying and troubling, um, that uh, Donald Trump is putting together his uh, cabinet choices right now, or at least contemplating it in the process of doing it. And they have spoken with uh, some people close to him, and these are the, uh, the leading candidates, as it were. Uh, first of all, uh, Trump and his top officials don't mince words about their plans. They are all on the same page with regard to the following bullet points in this uh, Axios article. Number one, they want to target and jail their critics, including government officials and media figures. That would be me. Uh, they want to create de detainment camps for undocumented immigrants and for criminals, in quote which would include, presumably, media figures like me. They want to unleash the military and crack down on protesters at home. Now, if this sounds like a dictatorship to you, that's exactly what they're describing here in this Axios piece. And it's pretty much exactly what these people are promoting. You heard the clip yesterday that I played of you know, Cash Patel and, and Steve Bannon talking about, we're going to go after the media and we're going to put them in jail because they lied about January 6th and they lied about Donald Trump losing the election. And we're gonna put them in jail. Uh, he wasn't specific about what the lies were, but I'm assuming that that's you know, what he was referring to. They also wanna scrap the rules that limit their ability to purge government workers. In other words, the, the uh, 1880s, as I recall, reform of the civil service came about as a way of decorrupting our federal government, they want to reverse that and bring us a totally corrupt federal government. For vice president, they're talking about J.D. Vance, the Republican senator uh, from Ohio who was brought to power by a right-wing libertarian billionaire. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, I doubt that. Carrie Lake, I doubt that. I think she's a little too crazy. Christy Noem, the uh, South Carolina governor, possible. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, but here's the one that I'm putting my money on, and in fact, I, I, I think we could take to the bank. Uh, apparently, Melania Trump is lobbying Donald to make Tucker Carlson his vice presidential candidate. Now, maybe Donald will say no to that because he's afraid Melania's hot for Tucker. <laughs> God only knows. But uh, Trump has said, you know, I like Tucker a lot. He's got great, got, got great common sense. 
Anyhow, it's, it's, a, it's a grim list. It's a grim list. I'll pick up your calls after the break. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. We'll be right back. Stay with us. is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Stokely, A Life by uh, Peniel E. Joseph. This is from the preface. Stokely Carmichael is a troubling icon of Americans, America's civil rights years. His black power call became a national Rorschach test. Whereas many blacks viewed it as righteous, many whites saw violent foreboding. foreboding. Newspapers brooded over Carmichael's words, quickly forming a consensus that judged the slogan to be at best intemperate and at worst a blatant call for anti-white violence and reverse racism. In 1966, black power reverberated around the world, galvanizing blacks, outraging whites, and inspiring a cross-section of ethnic and racial minorities. In 1969, Carmichael left the United States for Conakry, Guinea, where he reinvented himself as a roving pan-Africanist organizer and professional revolutionary. For the next 30 years, he remained an energetic dissident, a throwback to the heady years of the 1960s. Carmichael turned the quest for black political power into his life's work. His faith in a style of politics many considered anachronistic came out of the same tenacity and stubbornness that once made him one of the most effective and controversial activists of his generation. These same qualities, however, limited Carmichael's efforts as a pan-Africanist political mobilizer. Before leaving America, Stokely resigned as Black Power's glamorous enfant terrible. Uh, Telegenic, brash, equal parts angry and gregarious, whether dressed in three-piece suits, leather jackets, sharecroppers, overhauls, or African dashikis, Carmichael became to represent the era's multifaceted identity, a hipster hero whose easy grace allowed him to consort effortlessly with both the dignified and the damned. The name Stokely Carmichael first came into my consciousness when I was a young boy coming of age in New York City. As the proud son of a Haitian mother who belonged to local 1199 Hospital Workers Union, part of SEIU, I grew up hearing stories of how civil rights activists, black power revolutionaries, pan-Africanist freedom fighters and trade unionists helped to shape a new world in America and beyond. By the time I was in elementary school, I was on my first picket line accompanying my mother in support of an an 1199 strike. Both Malcolm X and Martin Luther King supported 1199 during the 1960s. Stokely Carmichael's political importance came into sharper focus when I was in junior high after the premiere of the landmark PBS documentary series, Eyes on the Prize, which featured the 24-year-old Carmichael's fiery black power speech and rightly characterized Stokely as his generation's heir to Malcolm X. Over the course of a decade of research on Carmichael, I would come to understand him as that and much more. Carmichael's youth, casual dress, and charisma made him an easily identifiable hero, one whose quick smile and passionate speeches left an indelible impression. An adopted son of the South by way of Trinidad, the Bronx, and Harlem, 
Stokely, adopt, uh, Stokely adapted to white trans to to excuse me Stokely adapted to to while transforming whatever environment he encountered. As a native New Yorker growing up in the city's tense racial climate of the 1980s, I found Carmichael's survival instincts appealing. As a young graduate student in Philadelphia, I had the opportunity to hear him speak and briefly met him afterward. He encouraged me to stay committed to the black freedom movement, a struggle he defined as infinite. With his flowing African robes, gray hair, and white beard, he looked like a prince. And he had changed his name. He was no longer Stokely Carmichael, as Malcolm Little had become Malcolm X and later El Haj Malik El Shabazz, Stokely had become Kwame Ture. It was a name that paid homage to his two African heroes, men who had been the first presidents of their countries, Ghana's Kwame Nkura and Guinea's Seiko Ture. Kwame Ture spelled the Guinean's name not as the French did, as white Europeans did, but as Arabs and Muslims did. Sekuturi, S-E-K-U-T-U-R-E. As a college student, Carmichael helped transform America by organizing sit-ins, demonstrations, and voter registrations during the civil rights movement's heroic years, a period that roughly encompasses the decade between the 1954 Brown v. Board Supreme Court decision, desegregation decision, and the 1965 Voting Rights Act, and has become enshrined in public memory through national holidays, films, commemorations, and monuments. Carmichael's deep sense of justice contributed to his evolution into Kwame Turi, the pan-Africanist revolutionary and anti-capitalist organizer who moved to West Africa and remained tenacious in the face of searing political setbacks. Carmichael ultimately judged America incapable of creating the free and just world he had struggled for as a young man. But despite living in Africa for the final 30 years of his life, Carmichael's legendary stature as a black power activist lingered even if many ignored his lasting contributions to civil rights struggles that included a bruising quest for the vote in the Deep South. Although today largely forgotten, Stokely Carmichael remains one of the protean figures of the 20th century, a revolutionary who passionately believed in self-defense and armed rebellion even as he revered nonviolence. The book Stokely, A Life by Peniel E. Joseph. Did you know that every weekday we send out an email before the show giving you all the topics coming up so you can be fully informed and ready to interact with our program? Or that after the show we send out Sue's Stack, a list of every topic I've discussed along with clickable hot links to every source of information I've shared with you on the air? It's all completely free and available over at tom.tv, T-H-O-M TV. Check it out. And welcome back. 34 minutes past the hour. And uh, I, I just wanted to share some you know, final thoughts about last night's debate and about the, uh, the whole presidential uh, run. Um, the first, you know, as I mentioned, uh, Vivek Ramasamy went you know, full QAnon last night. Chris Christie pointed out that the guy who's getting 60% of the vote was really not being discussed by the people who, uh, three, the three of the four people on the stage. Um, you know, are they afraid of Trump? Uh, of course. But what if, I mean, think of what the, what the strategies are here. You know, Ron DeSantis is falling in the polls because he's frankly unlikable. The guy is, 
the guy sounds mean and whiny and and you know he he you know he he was he, he looked real uncomfortable last night. I think the lifts in his in his boots were were so high that he he was trying to be as high, as tall as Ramaswamy and he's not. Um, and I think he was just like probably in pain most of the night and he looked like it. But uh, bottom line, uh, you know, people don't like him, but he's the closest. Uh, Ramaswamy, you know, nobody's going to vote for him, right? He's not going to be the nominee. We can just set that aside. If Trump can't run, and there's a couple of different scenarios that could bring that about. There could be health issues. There could be, you know, he's 77 years old and he's obese and he doesn't exercise. There could be um, uh, legal issues here in Oregon. They're, they're trying to keep him off the ballot. If he gets kept off the ballot in, in enough states, now so far none, none, none of these have succeeded, but if he gets kept off the ballot in enough states that there's no way he could become president, then you know, the GOP would pretty much have to replace him. I, I don't know if they could or would, but you know, that's a possibility. Um, he could be convicted, although I don't see why his convictions you know, he will, even if he's convicted of everything, and, and odds are the only, the only case that he's probably going to be convicted of going forward before the election is the, the one that he's in New York for right now. And that's not going to prevent him from running for president. So, and, you know, as I've said before, Eugene Debs in 1920 ran for president from a jail cell, from a prison. Um, you know, uh, President Wood, uh, yeah, Woodrow Wilson had tossed him in jail under the Alien Sedition Act, if my recollection serves me right, for his opposition to World War I. So, and he got over a million votes. So, and this is the Eugene Debs who is Bernie Sanders' hero. He ran for jail, uh, ran for president from jail, so there's nothing to stop Trump from doing that. But if for some reason Trump isn't the nominee, is not the guy at the top of the ticket, then where do the votes go? I'm thinking that the Trump humpers, the real, the real neo-fascists, would probably gravitate toward DeSantis because he plays the tough guy. Bill Clinton years ago said people would rather support somebody who is strong and right than weak and, and uh, extra, excuse me, strong and wrong than weak and right. And it's true. And DeSantis comes across as, oh, I know what I'm doing. Well, he, he kept using this very masculine, very aggressive language constantly last night. You know, I'm going to come out spitting nails and stuff like that. The, the corporate faction is clearly behind Nikki Haley right now. But, you know, whether she's going to be the nominee. But the wild card in this, I think, is somebody who's not even on, who is not even on the stage. And I don't think Chris Christie has a chance. There's not a chance in hell. But I think the wild card here is Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson has that kind of narcissist gene, you know, like Trump, he wants to be the center of attention constantly, wherever he goes, whatever he does. He, he certainly has a uh, high enough opinion of himself to believe that he could be president. As I said, Melania wants him to be vice president to Trump. And there might be other people. I mean, it's, it's possible that there are other people who could, who could become, you know, could, could come forward and end up being the nominee. So what do you think? How do you think this is going to shake out? And what happens if Trump isn't the nominee? As increasingly unlikely as that seems. So, let's pick up your calls here. Donald in Tigard, Oregon. Hey, Donald, what's up? I'd like to uh, thank you for pointing out uh, uh, Mr. Trump's 
positive aspect about 10 minutes ago. Just yeah. check, joking, of course. Yeah. Also, I would suggest that, uh, being this is Pearl Harbor Day, that folks remember what it was like having Franco and Hitler and Mussolini in charge and, and the Tojo. death camp that resulted. And it'd be nice if they could incorporate some of those scenes in some of their art, their ads against uh, fascism here in our country. That's yeah. just all I was going to say. Thank you. Yeah, you know, Donald, when you and I were kids, there were still people alive who remembered the Civil War, or certainly who remembered the aftermath of it. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, But still, the Civil War for us seemed such a distant thing that it was just what you read about in books. It didn't seem real. I, I suspect for the majority of Americans today who have no recollection of Pearl Harbor, uh, and yeah, today is the day that we were attacked. Um, it's kind of the same thing that 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 is receded into distant history, and now you know the the recollection is not even Vietnam, it's uh, or the first Iraq War, it's it's nine uh, eleven, and and nine eleven was so ignominious, you know the the uh, George W. Bush lying us into two wars uh, uh, in pursuit of a, of a of a criminal rather than a state. I mean, it's just bizarre. So I. I I don't see where we could easily draw those parallels and analogies, but I think you're absolutely right. We, we, there was a time that America came together and uh, came together in a very positive way, fought a war, saved the world from fascism, and now America is one of the leading threats of fascism in the world if we don't succeed in defeating this Trump movement politically here in the United States. Donald, thank you for the call. Points well made. Paul in Lucerne, California. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Hey, Paul. Um, I'm worried about white people hitting the J curve, and I think that's the reason why I'm having a surge in authoritarianism, fascist movement right now. The J curve. Uh, uh, explain. Yeah. When, when expectations of what society should give you don't meet reality. Oh, yeah. A lot of, yeah. A lot of white people. It's been going on for 25 a years. A lot of white men. Yeah, a lot of white men are coming up against this curve pretty hard, especially in the South. Yep. That's why I'm really happy that the CHIPS Act's going to bring some jobs down there yeah. and get some people back to work and give them some good jobs so maybe we could lessen the impact. But I think that's what's going on right now. I agree and to a large extent. And, and also, let's that's keep in mind, Paul, all those southern states still have $7.25, or most all of them, as their minimum wage. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. The, the people there who are living essentially in poverty and pissed off about it, think that it's Washington, D.C. that's doing it to them, and it's their local politicians. Yeah, and think about it. I mean, Alabama would be a third-world country. Mississippi would be a third-world country if they weren't in the United States. Yep. Yeah, or they certainly have so maternal death rates and childhood death rates and, and uh, you know, infections with lice and, and ringworm and stuff like that, you know, rates that are characteristic of the third world. They, they absolutely do. So when you... When you sell the story America's falling apart, they look out their window and believe you. Yeah. Well, then they have good reason to. And like I said, it's, yeah. it's Republican policy that's bringing it to them, but, you know, nobody is telling them that. Um, <laughs> there was a, a great rant this morning um, by Anand Giridharadas, I can never pronounce his last name right, on uh, Morning Joe, uh, where he was talking about how Trump is basically a a movement leader he's you know he didn't say he's like the the, the martin luther king of the right wing but um he, he, he said he's a movement leader he's built a movement and whereas the democrats are not building a movement they're simply offering policy prescriptions 
and it was so right on. I've, I'm, it's haunting me. I'm, 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 I want to write about it this, you know, maybe later next week. Um, but uh, we've got, we got. I can see a movement starting. Yeah. Well, I think it's. I think it's I mean, beginning it, right now it with the labor under movement. Wall, occupy I think, Wall Street, and it's going to happen again. Yeah, and I think Sean Fain, you know, the leader of the UAW, is is like you know one of the one of the new leaders of this movement. But it's it's happening yeah. outside the Democratic Party, and that's not um, well, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I suppose the civil rights movement happened outside the Democratic Party and then got incorporated by the Democratic Party, but. Uh, we need more movement building in the United States. Paul, excellent points. Thank you for the call. Tom in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hey, Tom, what's up? Hello, Tom. How are you doing today? Good. Good. What's up? Hey, listen, I, I really appreciated your your rant, and it needs to be said, and I wish more people would say it on the media, but I want to just add to that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a 66-year-old old man, and uh lived in this country all my life, and it, it was a heartache to me that Trump shined a light on the stink of almost 50% of our electoral population who supported him. I would have, like, when he first ran, if you would have said, I, I would have bet the farmer, that guy has no chance. Yeah. You listen to him speak for 30 seconds, and you say, what is this painted orange circus freak? And when he got elected, that, that was like a spear in my heart, and it's been a spear in my heart. That's number one. Number two, he shined a light on our pathetically weak Justice Department, a.k.a. Merritt Garland. Yeah. The fact that this guy is still allowed to take a second shot at, at undermining our democracy and ruining our government and turning us into a fascist state is a just a disgusting, disgraceful thing on our judicial system. He should be behind bars. I mean, for crying out loud, three years ago was the insurrection, and yeah. he's still allowed to go around campaigning, yeah. and he still has all that support of people. So that just was a real eye-opener for me that we still live in a country where you're either one of two things if you support Trump. You are either intellectually challenged or you are evil. End of story. Yeah, it's those are the two choices. It is. You, there's, there's no in between, and, and I count racism as in, in, intellectually challenged because yeah. there's a lot of racists who support him. You bet, you bet. Tom, well said. Thank you. Yeah, spot on. Forty-five minutes past the hour. Picking up your calls here. Uh, what do you think is the f state of the Republican field right now? Did you watch the debate last night? I'd love to get your thoughts on it. We'll be right back. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archive. 46 minutes past the hour, picking up your calls. And uh, welcome back. Tom in Irvine, California, listening on KPFK. Hey, Tom, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Yes, your uh, your call screener, Mark, sounds exactly like Roy of Hollywood. Remember Roy? Oh, I remember Roy, Roy well. Earlier I, this year. Yeah, he's passed yeah, away he now. He's such a good guy. Yeah, Mark sounds exactly like him. Huh, but um, the reason I called is, um, remember uh, the United States Football League? Back Was that the, the one 80s, that Trump tried uh, to buy? It, well, he bought it. He bought the New Jersey Generals. He had a franchise, and and he ruined the league. It was it was fairly successful. It was there for three years, and as soon as he got involved, 
the league went downhill. Yeah. And that's that's exactly what he's doing to the Republican Party. Yeah. There's a ESPN documentary on it called Small Potatoes. It came out in 2009, and it tells the whole story. About and, Trump's role uh, in that? Yes. How did Trump exactly kill it? I don't, I don't understand. How do you kill a football league? Well, he, he bought the New Jersey Generals, and he tried to get the, uh, the league played in the spring and didn't compete with the NFL. So... The league, you know, the NFL played in the fall, and the USFL played in the spring and into the summer. And so they, they didn't compete with one another. But he tried to get the USFL to directly compete with the NFL. Oh, boy. And that's when it, and that's when it went down. That's when it went out. And, yeah. and he lost a lawsuit. And, um, and the NFL, he tried to buy one of the franchises in the NFL after that, and they had wanted no part of them. Yeah. Yeah, they they wanted no part of them. And then um, one last thing: when uh, Eisenhower was running for president, wasn't it iffy if he was going to be a Republican or a Democrat? Yeah, he he had never declared party affiliation because he was a professional soldier. And just months before he declared for the presidency, everybody thought he was going to be a Democrat. He declared as a Republican. And and I think that that so, was just a political calculation. I don't think in his heart he was a Republican or a Democrat, frankly. I think he believed in the New Deal, uh, you know, what FDR had done. But I don't think he did. He believed in it out of ideology. If you read his letters to his brother, Edgar, uh, you know, it's very clear that he, he, he believed that there was a middle way through American politics. And he was the guy who was going to take us that. But he gave so much credibility to, like, Nixon. and I mean, Sadly. Yeah. You know, if he... Yeah. Well, he needed Nixon to get elected. Nixon was what made him credible as a Republican because Nixon was a mobbed up, you know, uh, uh, Republican congressman from California who, who, uh, you know, was tied in not not just to the mafia very, very heavily, but also to the big money interest, the Republican big money interest in in California, who were principally developers and oil oil barons. And uh, and they were pretty corrupt, too. I mean, it was there were there were company towns. And I mean, this was we it was a very corrupt era, you know. This was prior to any of the real good government legislation. So, yeah. Yeah. Just imagine if 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 uh, yeah, if Eisenhower had gone Democratic, where we would be today. But well, oh yeah, well. I'm not so sure about that. Although, although, yeah, he wouldn't have had Nixon as VP. And and I, I, the big problem was when Eisenhower had his heart attack in 1959. And he basically, you know, he was out of out of service for a few months, and he put Nixon in charge of the Cuba desk, and Nixon completely screwed that up, and then and then decided he was going to invade Cuba as a as a political stunt for the 1960 election, and they couldn't they pulled all you know everything together for it, but they couldn't make it happen in time for the election, and that became the Bay of Pigs, which really uh, you know did a lot of harm to our country, frankly, over time. Tom, I got to run, but thank you for the call. Most people don't realize the Bay of Pigs was originally an October surprise that Richard Nixon was going to run in October of 1960. We'll be right back 10 minutes before the hour. Help support Progressive Radio. If you're listening to us on a commercial station, call their advertisers and let them know you're listening. If you're listening to us on Pacifica or one of our many nonprofit stations, please support them when they do their fundraising drives. Thanks for supporting Progressive Talk Radio and tag your it. You know, one of the grand questions that political scientists have been scratching their heads over for years in America is, why do right-wing billionaires fund anti-black history? 
movements? Why are they why are they pouring money into these people? Why are they funding anti-trans movements? I mean, what does this have to do with being a billionaire? Well, it turns out it has a lot to do with it. And here's why. Almost 30 million Americans lack health insurance. 37 million of us live in dire poverty. One in five of us are illiterate. A quarter of Americans suffer from a diagnosable mental illness and can't get treatment. 316 people are shot every day in America. 44% of us carry student debt. And the billionaires don't want to pay income taxes to deal with any of these problems of society. That's the real issue. If they can get us fighting with each other over black history or over trans people or kids, they win. Then we're not talking about taxing them, raising their taxes to where they should be. There's a whole rant about this over at HartmanReport.com that you can read and see all the stats and all the hot links. Check it out. And welcome back. Picking up your calls here, Todd in Rockford, Illinois. Hey, Todd, what's on your mind today? Oh, I just wanted to thank you for your rant uh, this morning. I was wondering or hoping I could, like, maybe go to YouTube and just type in, like, Trump's stench or Trump's stink, and I could pull that up so I can share it with people that don't have uh, satellite radio or get to uh, hear you. You will be able to do that probably three or four hours after we're, all, after we're out the air today. Uh, every day, we uh, Nate pulls together two or three, sometimes four clips from the show and puts them on YouTube. On the, We have our own channel on YouTube, and yes, you will find them there. You will find okay, it there. that would be great. One quick thing, mm-hmm. one quick thing, what's your thought What's your thought on a split ticket if Liz Cheney was to run and then have a, uh, a Democrat for vice president? I think the ideological differences are too great. Liz Cheney wants to end Social Security. She wants to end Medicare and Medicaid. Um, she wants to end most welfare okay. programs. Uh, she's not a fan of the right nope. to vote. Uh, you know, she thinks the, the, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan were great things. Um, I, I just think the ideology is too, uh, too, too different. Good enough. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Todd. Good talking to you. Gar in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, Gar, what's on your mind today? How are you doing there today, Tom? I'm well. What's uh, up? I got a vice president for uh, President Trump. Okay, who's that? O.J. Simpson or Bill Cosby? <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, it is appropriate. Yeah, I mean, the guys are the same luck. The guys, I mean, Trump, I, 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 you know, O.J. hasn't been convicted of rape. Uh, Cosby was, uh, and, and Trump has been convicted of rape. I, I guess convicted isn't the legal term because it was in civil court. But, you know, the judge did rule that it was, in fact, rape, you know. And, and uh, so... <laughs> Yeah, that was, that's a good one, Gar. I mean, they're, they're brothers are the same large. Yeah, I, I get it. I, I, I mean, the, the thing about it is that it, Democrats got a royal flesh hand. Yeah. But they, they seem to be scared to play it. I mean, the Democrats should win every seat in, in the House, the Senate. Because if the Republicans had the Democrats' hand, you think there would be a de- Democrat in office? No yeah. way. Republicans wish they had the Democrat yeah. head. They yeah. wish they had that head. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, because they got everything. They got the aces. They got the kings. They got the queens. and scared to play it. Yeah. 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 It's sadly, to, to a large extent. Although, I think the media plays a huge role in this, Gar. But I get your point. Thank so you what? very much for the call. Mark in South Bend, Indiana. Hey, Mark, what's up? Hey, Tom, how you doing? Good checking in with you. You. you know, uh, as I've been a progressive uh, Democrat all my life and that. I live in Indiana, but with the upcoming primary, there's not going to be a challenge really for Joe Biden. I think uh, where there's open uh, ballot, open primary states such as Indiana and other places, in the Republican primary, we've got to get 
uh, Republican ballots, primary ballots, progressives and Democrats, and vote for Nikki Haley. Um, choose the lesser of all the evils and kind of just uh, derail Trump that way. That would be the best, uh, I think, option to take. Here's my concern. Uh, number one, be careful what you wish for. Nikki Haley is all in on the uh, 2025 agenda of the Heritage Foundation, which would basically, you know, turn America back into a fa or into a fascist state, in my opinion. Um, uh, she is, uh, you know, like Liz Cheney, she's a right winger. She wants to, to privatize Social Security, privatize Medicare, uh, you know, uh, end food stamps, uh, cut federal aid to education. Um, drill baby drill. She's all in with the with the fossil fuel billionaires. Um, I, I could see voting for Chris Christie as a way of making it appear that there are more Republicans who are just disgusted with the Trump faction. But Nikki Haley is still refusing to condemn Donald Trump. Her, her pitch is, you know, you need a new generation of leadership and uh, which, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Tried uh, DeSantis tried to do last night, too. And uh, you know, it's a father time uh, waits for no one or whatever his phrase was, you know, can't be defeated. Um, but I'd be real wary of that, Mark. Uh, you know, maybe maybe right in well, okay. somebody. I don't know. <laughs> okay. All right, then, Tom. Thank you for your advice and that comment. And you have a good day. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Um, I, you know, I don't know if it's an open primary in uh, Indiana or not. I, I know Michigan was... I believe it still is. Michigan certainly was back in the 60s. Uh, I remember that one when, when we went for, um, for George Wallace. And what an embarrassment that was to the entire state of Michigan. So, you know, be careful. But be, generally speaking, be careful what you wish for. Um, I'm, I'm more inclined to say probably, you know, if there is a Democratic primary in your state, and I think there probably will be in most all states, um, you know, vote for Joe Biden. Let's let's get as much wind behind his back as possible because uh, he's going to need it. All right, we'll be back on the other side of the break with Phil Itner live from Ukraine to give us an update on what's going on there. Uh, we're going to get into the uh, Republican uh, uh, efforts to uh, get more guns on our streets now in the wake of this latest mass shooting and the uh, crazy hip super hypocrisy of Moms for Liberty. Stay with us. You're listening to Tom Hartman. At a recent congressional hearing on America's so-called labor shortage, mega banker Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan Chase offered this insight. People actually have a lot of money, and they don't particularly feel like going back to work. Uh, Jamie, most people are living paycheck to paycheck. And since COVID-19 hit, millions have lost their jobs, savings, and even homes. So they're not exactly lollygagging around the house counting their cash. Instead of listening to the uber-rich class ignorance of Diamond, who pocketed $35 million in pay last year, Congress ought to be listening to actual workers explain why they're not rushing back to the jobs being offered by restaurant chains and such. They would point out that there's no labor shortage, there's a wage shortage. More fundamentally, there's a fairness shortage. It was not lost on restaurant workers, for example, that while millions of them were jobless last year, their corporate CEOs were grabbing millions, buying yachts, and living large. Yet, more than half of laid-off restaurant workers couldn't even get unemployment benefits because their wages had been too low to qualify. 
Then there's the high risk of COVID exposure for restaurant employees, an appalling level of sexual harassment in their workplace, and demeaning treatment from abusive bosses and customers. No surprise, then, that more than half of employees said in a recent survey that they're not going back to those jobs. After all, even a dog knows the difference between being stumbled over and being kicked. To get the workers they need, corporate giants should try the free enterprise solution right at their fingertips. Fingertips, raise pay, improve conditions, and show respect. Create a place where people want to work. This is Jim Hightower saying, for a straightforward view from workers themselves, go to the advocacy group onefairwage.site. You're listening to X-Ray FM, KXRY Portland at 91.1 and 107.1 FM, and on the coast in Nehalem, Manzanita, and Rockaway Beach at 91.7 FM, streaming online and on demand at xray.fm, where radio is yours. Hi, I'm Richard, a junior at Open School East. I would like X-Ray FM listeners to know about Open School, the nonprofit that runs my high school in our tutoring and mentoring program called Step Up. Open School's mission is to empower students who have been underserved and underestimated. They lead an educational community based on advocacy, equity, and academics. Their programs support students as we break limiting beliefs, navigate discrimination, and build our life goals. Open School is proud to join other local nonprofits in the Give Guide. More information at giveguide.org under the education category. This is Ross Beach, host of Alive with Pleasure, with this week's edition of the X-Ray FM Concert Calendar for the weekend starting on this Friday, December the 8th. Friday night brings us Lions of the Interstate at Arbor Beer Lodge, Casa Velazza's Farewell Show at the Laurel Thirst, Lane Norberg at the Alberta Street Pub, Strawberry Guy comes to the Old Church, Swinging plays Vacancy PDX, Highly Suspect will be at the Wonder Ballroom, Cadabra plays the Lollipop Shop, and Swell comes to Mississippi Studios. The Mistons and Blue Cranes will be at the Chapel Theater Annex in Milwaukee Saturday afternoon for PDX Record Label Fest. Also on Saturday, Jay Graves at the Southwester. Delusions will be at the Six. Panther Vision plays Misdemeanor Meadows. Plankton Watt will be at Turn, Turn, Turn. Pedro the Lion and Kyle Morton will be at Trout Lake Hall. Blisser comes to No Fun. Hot Mulligan plays the Crystal Ballroom. Mason Jennings will be at Mississippi Studios. And His Golden Messenger comes to Revolution Hall. Then on Sunday, Blessed Chest plays Turn, Turn, Turn. Sad Boy Union will be at the Hallow Halls. We Are Parasols plays Holocene. Jeff Rosenstock plays a sold-out show Revolution Hall. Vagabond plays Mississippi Studios. And Megan Alder Trio performs at McMenamin's Owl's Den. Then on Monday the 11th, Devendra Banhart will be at Revolution Hall. Cathedral Bells play Showbar. Robert Glasper will be at the Roseland. And Portugal the Man play the Crystal Ballroom. On Tuesday the 12th, Haley Joel will be at Polaris Hall. And MJ Lenderman will be at Mississippi Studios. On Wednesday, the Quick and Easy Boys play the Laurel Thirst. Fish Bone will be at the Crystal Ballroom, and X comes to Revolution Hall. Then on Thursday, the Fourth Wall and Sallow Panto play together at Mississippi Studios. If you're not familiar with all of the artists I just mentioned, I'll be spinning many of them this Friday afternoon from 2 to 4 on X-Ray FM, Alive with Pleasure. If you know about a show you'd like to be included in this list, email the details to me at AliveWithPleasureRadio at gmail.com. This has been Ross Beach with this weekend's X-Ray FM concert calendar for Portland, Oregon. 
video blog you can watch, and, and I recommend you subscribe to it. It's uh, just plug his name in, Philip Itner, P-H-I-L-I-P-I-T-T-N-E-R. Uh, Itner Philip is his Twitter handle, uh, unless he's recovered his original one. Phil, did you get that back, or is it still long gone? No, I think that's lost. Okay. I think that's, I think that's long gone, unfortunately. All right. So yesterday, the uh, Chuck Schumer put forward a proposal to fund uh, military aid to both Israel and Ukraine, and the Republicans uh, demanded some pretty outrageous stuff with regard to the southern border. I mean, stuff that even uh, hardcore uh, anti-immigration Democrats wouldn't go along with. And, you know, it was a poison pill, basically. And uh, so the Republicans refused to even allow a debate on the topic of aid to Ukraine. How is this news being taken in, in Ukraine? Well, Tom, as you can imagine, not well. Um, you know, the, the, there's been a longstanding frustration with the drip, drip, drip of, of equipment and supplies, you know, just enough to kind of keep Ukraine fighting, but not enough. This is the argument I hear constantly here, but not enough for them to achieve victory that it's 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 never quite enough there's always this debate and so the decision to tie it to the southern border it's interesting you know ukrainians study american domestic you know policy and politics uh as much as you know i've seen a one nation study another nation's internal uh machinations uh you know in the 30 years i've been doing journalism um they, they know exactly what's going on yeah. they know exactly that this is a domestic issue within the united state and states and has less to do with them than the struggle between uh the gop and the democrats it's that doesn't that doesn't soothe things they're still losing people on a daily basis people are dying and fighting and you know we're right. still under threat from attack and all the rest of it but they do recognize that this is domestic and not uh and I, not i think it's really worse than that phil i think that uh, vladimir putin has told well, donald trump stop the aid to ukraine and donald trump is telling republicans stop the aid to ukraine and I think it's all happening on the down low QT. And I'm just shocked and horrified that no American media and frankly, no Democratic politicians, to the best of my knowledge, are willing to say out loud what I just said. Oh, and I don't think it's just Donald Trump, though, Tom. I think that there are a lot of people within the GOP. I mean, we know that uh, that the that the GRU, the the Russian intelligence services, were within the where we infiltrated the NRA. Um, I mean, this is a constant battle. And you know, and, and I'm glad that you said that because about three weeks ago, maybe a month, perhaps, the head of military intelligence here, General Budanov, came out and said the Russians have transitioned in their tactics. We we have information that their intent is to less to do with what they did last winter, trying to knock out uh, electricity and heating and that sort of thing and make it unbearable for the Ukrainians to sustain, to sustain themselves. That clearly didn't work. And so Budanov, the Ukrainian intelligence officer, said, we have people inside Russia telling us that their tactic this winter is to divide 
uh, divide alliances, to divide to create political chaos uh, in every major donor uh, country, but also between Ukraine and the West, and also to create uh, uh, friction between elements internally. In other words, the Russians are transitioning from a kinetic war trying to take out electricity and heating, although the battlefield is still f- fierce, but they are transitioning to information warfare, right. and their primary attack is to, to is to divide and conquer. And so whoever they have compromised or whoever they've been lining the pockets of of politicians, not only in the United States, but particularly in the United States, clearly, and also I would argue Great Britain, um, we have to be we have to be on our guard from this because the Russians realize that they can't beat us militarily, but they can set us against one another. They can they can uh, they can degrade our our democracy. They can create friction. They can they can line those pockets and make people vote the way they want them to vote. They did it we in twenty sixteen on guard. They sure did. Without a doubt. And uh, hopefully one day that full story will come out because the Mueller report was uh, stymied by obstruction. I mean, if, if you yeah. go back to the Mueller report itself, aside from what happened when it came out, Bill Barr, you know, doing his gamesmanship there. Right. But if you look at the actual report, what Mueller says is that we couldn't do our report because we were obstructed at least 10 separate times. And we weren't able to find out what really happened in 16. I contend, having watched Russian interference in election and politics throughout Europe, and I, and in you can see uh, their modus operandi, if you start to get the codex, you can see it, and the Petri dish that they used in places like Estonia and here in Ukraine, how they can manipulate things um with social media with getting uh you know with with bribery and compromise and basically espionage and information warfare they're extremely good at it and they are bringing it to bear in the united states and in the western alliance we really need to pay better attention to this so what happened yesterday was bad but I fear it is only the beginning of a trend that we're going to see in coming days, especially, obviously, as we go into election, uh, uh, you know, the election period. Um, the the Russians are going to come at us real hard with information warfare. Yeah, yeah, I, and already are. As I said, I, I they did in 2016, and, and um, Paul Manafort, who had who had taken millions of dollars from Putin-aligned oligarchs, mm-hmm. uh, was handing. There's to a the Russian- great interview. There's a great interview on the Kiev Post, as much as I don't, you know, but kudos where kudos is deserved. They had an interview yesterday that they released with Lev Parnas. Lev Parnas, of course, very controversial figure, Ukrainian, in uh, American involved in, in the Trump world, was kind of the go-between between Giuliani here uh, with the whole Hunter Biden laptop mm-hmm. and all the rest of it. In this interview with the Kiev Post, if you look it up, he says Giuliani knew that he was he was working with Russians, yeah. that they were that they were Russian uh, agents in Ukraine uh, doing the GRU's dirty work and working for the Kremlin. And yet Giuliani proceeded. Now, if that isn't direct interference in our elections in 2016, I don't know what is. And then, of course, you mentioned Manafort and all the rest of it. Yeah. We've got to be better with this. I we really do. We've got to recognize we got to recognize we're in an information war as much as a kinetic real shooting war, you know, that we are backing here where Ukrainians are dying. But, yes, you know, we're 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 
we will be putting up that money eventually. There will be support because, Tom, I, I am in contact with a variety of delegations that are currently on the Hill. And the really sad thing about it is they're hearing from both sides of the aisle. Everybody recognizes the security importance and importance of it with some very glaring exceptions. But because of this domestic gamesmanship about the border, um, you know, there's all this other stuff going on. But I do know that there are Ukrainian delegations on the hill right now behind closed doors talking to people and Good. and at some point there is hope that that more funding and support will come this way because this is the front line you know i just watched uh you know the darkest hour that wonderful movie about uh winston churchill mm -hmm. and those moments when great britain stood alone against nazi and, and i this is not being overly dramatic this is the front line between russia's autocracy if they win here there will be grave ramifications for the western world first europe and then the transatlantic alliance yep. russia intends to send and to 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 spread the cancer that it spreads with corruption and and with malfeasance uh, on the global stage and if there aren't if they aren't stopped here mark my words it will get worse and i think general um, milley was perfectly uh, correct when he spoke to to 60 minutes what you know about a month ago roughly uh when he said if we don't stop them here we're going to have to ratchet up our our defense spending now nobody really wants that right mm. but if the border if the, if the front line moves from ukraine to poland or to the baltic states everybody's going to have to start to ratchet up their military spending this is where it has to stop this has to be the red line and so we really i mean we're getting more weapons here there's there's positive developments happening on the front lines when we look at what's happening with with crossing over uh to the other side of the river uh the the ukrainian forces have now uh gotten across the dnieper river and their foothold there is growing and solidifying um you know this this idea that the counteroffensive failed uh is is i think think well in my humble opinion is 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 not accurate because it hasn't stopped they're gonna fight through the winter this isn't constrained to a spring counteroffensive. yes they've had to kind of slow things down during the transition period of seasons but ultimately they're gonna fight this war during the winter they've said just as much here in kiev and the military leadership in fully intends to keep pushing and if they can just make it another 60 roughly 70 miles they will seriously put it at risk the land bridge that supports Crimea and and therefore Sevastopol, which so much of this war is about. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. No Russian leader survives losing what Catherine the Great took, betraying the dream of Peter uh, with Russia as a major naval power and access uh, to the Mediterranean and a warm water port, which uh, Russia has aspired to for centuries. This will put, when there are Ukrainian boots on the Sea of Azov, thereby splitting the land bridge, supporting the peninsula, there's going to be very major um, repercussions Hell in Moscow. Pay. We already yeah. know Putin isn't in the Kremlin right now because he's afraid of his stability. We know that. We know that he thinks it's not safe in Moscow anymore. And if the, that land bridge gets cut off, it's one thing to lose hundreds. Of, this is a very cynical thing to say about Russia, but I lived in Russia. I've studied Russia for 25 years. It's one thing to lose hundreds of thousands of soldiers on the, on the front lines. It's another to lose this sense of empire and power and pride. They 
they've already been they already have a deep feeling of 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 um of a betrayal at the collapse of the Soviet Union to lose further what not only the Soviet Union had but the Russian Empire had Vladimir Putin is going to be in a very dangerous and precarious spot if the Ukrainians can get to the sea and I believe they can but we need to support them Amen Phil Edner uh, check out his video blog over on YouTube Phil thanks so much for dropping by thank you Tom it's always great getting these uh, regular reports from you I, I do appreciate it We'll be back with more of the news of the day, our super hypocrite alert. Uh, The GOP also blocking uh, uh, the assault weapon ban. I'll tell you about that after this break. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Speaking the truth, the multinational corporations would really rather you know uh, nothing about. I'll be right back. And welcome back. Johan in Los Angeles. Hey, Johan, what's on your mind today? I think uh, Christy will stay around and support and endorse Haley at the end. You think so? I was, think so. I saw, he, did you see his interview? He's pretty bottom, but yeah. yeah. He defended Haley the entire time, so yeah. I saw an interview this morning. Now, it might have been you know an interview that was done last night. By, I, I think it was on Morning Joe. Um, where uh, Christie was, you know, basically the, the interviewer said, you, you defended Nikki Haley. Does that mean that if, if uh, Nikki Haley ends up, you know, quack, 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 that you'll endorse her, that kind of thing? And he, he wouldn't answer directly. And, and he said, I have a lot of policy differences with Nikki Haley. I have a lot of differences with Nikki Haley. Um, but, I, but I, you know, what, what, you know, pissed me off basically was Vivek Ramaswamy attacking her intelligence and, and just going after her in, in, uh, Christie's opinion because she was a woman. I was surprised, frankly, that none of the three women who were the the moderators uh, made a comment about uh, you know uh, a man feeling the need to defend a woman. Although you know, I, I, frankly, I think Christie may have defended anybody <laughs> from that kind of an attack. One I mean, thing I know. Yeah, go ahead. One thing I know about Nikki Haley is that she's uh, planning to uh, expand the Medicare Advantage plans. Oh, of course. Yeah, no, she's 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 a corporate Republican. I mean, she's going to be taking money from whatever companies are giving her money and promoting their interests, and that would be Medicare Advantage. I have one question for you, though. Yeah, go ahead. Do you think Trump's poll numbers are made up by AI? No. Just to make him feel good about it? No, no. I, I, don't, I don't trust polls, and I, and I think that a year in advance of an election, polls are meaningless. Um, but that said... I don't think that you know what we're seeing here is fraud or you know phony baloney stuff. Uh, I just you know it's it's the way it is right now. One more, um, I think uh, Trump and Putin is behind uh, Israel Hamas thing just to make sure that all the aids for Ukraine doesn't go to Ukraine. I think that goes Putin and Iran are in on this. And yeah, you, you yeah. will recall that some months ago there was a meeting between the Iranians and the Russians. I don't recall if Putin was in the, in the meeting or not. Um, and it would surprise me if this was the topic of conversation, that we're going to blow up this peace deal between the Sunni Arabs, Saudi Arabia, and, and the Israelis, the, the Jews, um, uh, on behalf of the, the Shia Arabs, which is the Iranians and, and uh I don't know what Hezbollah is, but uh, or Hamas is, but they're certainly backed by the Shiites, you know, by the Iranians. What worries me is that we're going to read 
the who's going to tell the truth, who's going to write the lies, like 20, 25 years from now. Mm-hmm. That's what worries me. What do you mean? The who's gonna, they're going to write the the book about what just happened? Oh, you mean right like, now like what Phil was just talking about? How the Mueller report has been deep sixed, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's a legitimate concern. You know, some historians have have uh, uh, taken to trying to do something about that. Heather Cox Richardson, for example, publishes a daily kind of here's the history. She's writing history contemporarily uh, over on Substack, and she's got you know I think uh, over a million people now subscribing to her newsletter. Some mind-boggling number of people subscribing to her newsletter. Um, people want that accurate and honest history. Uh, but I, I, I share your concern, Johan, as a, as a history fan myself. I, I absolutely share it. Johan, thank you. It's always so nice to hear from you. Appreciate the call. It's 22 minutes past the hour. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Missed my opening rant today? It's usually published over at HartmanReport.com where you can read it and share it with your friends for free. Check it out, HartmanReport.com. So MAGA Mike and the Republicans want a religious test for people running for public office. They want to know that you are sufficiently Christian to be worthy of being elected. Right. MAGA Mike is one of these uh, seven mountain evangelicals. There are seven domains where these dominionists believe that we need to have religion completely take them over. Education, religion, family, business, government, military, arts and entertainment, and the media. Seriously. This is not what Jesus was preaching when he said, give unto Caesar what is Caesar and unto, unto God what is God's. This is the opposite, in fact, of what Jesus was teaching. It's the opposite of Matthew 25, where Jesus said, the only way to get to heaven is by feeding the hungry, healing the sick, helping the poor. It's, this is counter-Christian, anti-Christian, in fact. In fact, I think you could say it is the Antichrist's work. There's a piece about it over at HartmanReport.com. Check it out. Twenty-four minutes past the hour, and uh, the the uh, Republican Party yesterday. I, I I shared with you the absolute freak show of uh, you know what. Uh, in fact, Phil Itner and I were just talking about this of what happened with uh, the aid for Ukraine and Israel. Um, there needs to be a debate on these things. Uh, the Republicans didn't even want to have a discussion. And they said that the reason was because Democrats didn't want to go along with doing something about the southern border. Um, that's not why. The reason why is, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say it a lot, and I would like to start hearing you echo it to your members of Congress if you think I'm right, or calling them and asking them, you know, is this what's happening to you and to your colleagues? That Putin has told Trump, stop the GOP from supporting aid to Ukraine. And then Trump is reaching out to individual Republicans and saying, if you want my support, if you don't want to be kicked out in a Republican primary, and keep in mind the primary season is upon us, then you will vote against aid for Ukraine. And if they can just hold the line until the end of the year, USA to Ukraine ends. We're out of money. 
in three weeks. And that's Putin's goal, that's Trump's goal, and increasingly that is the goal of the Republicans. Now, I'm of the opinion that they're afraid of Trump, they're afraid of Trump primarying them, and Trump is doing this because Putin either owns him or is blackmailing him or is paying him or something, or he just loves him. Uh, Phil Itner is of the opinion that this is a much deeper and longer lasting uh, process, that, that the Russian intelligence services have their, have their hands deep into the NRA and deep into many of the Republican members of Congress. I certainly could build a case around that for Rand Paul and perhaps John Kennedy down in Louisiana uh, or is it Alabama, whichever state he's from, anyhow. Um, you know, and, and, uh, and Coach Tuberville, you know, trying to block military promotions. You know, is he doing that because Putin is, is or Trump is threatening him? I don't know. But I think that one of, the, one of the questions we should be asking our members of Congress is what role is Putin playing in this newfound Republican opposition to aid for Ukraine? What role, what role is the Putin-Trump connection playing in this? Because as Phil correctly pointed out, there were 10 indictable instances of obstruction of justice listed in the Mueller report that Mueller said could be prosecuted against Donald Trump for obstruction of justice. And what was the obstruction of justice? Blocking efforts to investigate the connections between Russia and the Trump campaign. We still don't know the details. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. And frankly, it appears Merrick Garland has no interest in learning them. I'll pick up your calls on the other side of the break. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is by Pat Mitchell. It's titled Becoming a Dangerous Woman, Embracing Risk to Change the World. This is from the preface titled The Most Dangerous Woman in the Room. Yes, I'll be there. Eve Ensler was calling with an invitation to what she described as the meeting of movements planned for the first week of January 2017. In the wake of a polarizing presidential election in the United States, Eve had decided it was time for activists to come together to shape strategies that would unify and leverage the collective power of a wide range of social justice organizations. Who else is coming, I asked. I'm not releasing the invitation list, Eve replied, but you'll want to be in the room. Indeed, I did want to be in that room, knowing from past experiences that any meeting or event that Eve organized would be meaningful. So I showed up, as the invitation indicated, at a nondescript building in Stone Ridge, New York, and surrendered my cell phone to the smiling young volunteers at the front door. Best to have all communication devices outside the room, was the explanation, which of course heightened my anticipation about what would transpire within the room. I entered a large room and saw Eve standing at the front with folding chairs in a circle. Mingling about the room were some familiar faces, the meeting's other conveners, Kimberly Crenshaw of the African American Policy Forum, Naomi Klein, award-winning author and activist, independent media entrepreneur and journalist Laura Flanders, and Jane Fonda, actor and activist. We were asked to find our seats, and Eve began. We are living in dangerous times, was her opening line, and such times call for new levels of activism from all the communities represented in this room. Let's begin by identifying who's in the room. One by one, the introductions began. I'm one of the founders of the Women's March. 
I'm the executive director of 350.org. I run Project South. With each introduction, the level of leadership and activists' credentials became more impressive and, for me, more intimidating. I could feel my anxiety building. How was I going to identify myself? I have no title and was no longer running an organization, having left my CEO position at the Paley Center for Media the previous spring. I could say that I was the CEO of Pat Mitchell Media with its grand total of two employees, including myself, but that felt wholly inadequate to explain why I belonged in that room. I mentally rehearsed some other options. I could say I was a lifetime advocate for women, true enough if a little vague. I could list some of my previous titles, but why make a point of being the former anything? I was struggling with, to come up with how to identify myself in the present, an identity that would hopefully give some indication of why Eve had included me in this circle of activists and leaders. Finally, it was my turn. Before I knew it, I heard myself saying, I'm Pat Mitchell and I'm a dangerous woman. I'm not sure exactly what prompted this personal declaration of dangerousness, but I could tell from the looks of surprise that I needed to add a bit more context. At this time in my life, about to turn 75, I continued, I have nothing left to prove, less to lose, and I'm ready to take more risks and to be less politic and polite. As Eve said, these are dangerous times, and dangerous times call for dangerous women. That got a big sisterly yes from Eve and others in the circle, including Jane Fonda, who was sitting across from me, and stood up declaring, well, I'm older than my friend Pat, so that makes me even more dangerous. Laughter erupted, of course, and I could sense that others were contemplating exactly what becoming more dangerous to meet the challenges of dangerous times would mean for each of us and for the work we had convened to consider. Certainly, Jane Fonda's life of activism is a textbook case for being bold and brave, during our many years of friendship, I've, I'd witnesses, I've witnessed her willingness to take risks for a good cause, to speak out and show up, even when it meant personal peril or sacrifice. At 81, she is still on the front lines, campaigning for domestic and restu restaurant workers' rights, standing with the American Indian communities, protesting natural resource exploitation at Standing Rock, and busier as an actor than ever. In her book, Prime Time, Jane advanced the idea that Older women have the potential to become the most powerful population on the planet. She's a great example of how we embrace that potential at every age. My personal potential for becoming dangerous is perhaps more direct, directly linked to my friendship with Eve Ensler. From our first conversation in war-torn Sarajevo in 1998, I've been deeply inspired by her courage and her commitment to do whatever is necessary to end violence against women everywhere. Taking risks comes easier to Eve than to, men, to many. Writing and performing the vagina monologues, making it the centerpiece of a global movement, V-Day, to end gender-based violence, is a transformative approach to activism that I feel privileged to have experienced. Yes, I was an activist and woman's advocate before I met Eve, but through my relationship with her and as a board member of the V-Day movement, I've met activists facing dangers every day to create change in some of the most difficult places on earth to be a woman. But until that day, I had not felt dangerous myself. Declaring myself a dangerous woman still feels a bit, well, dangerous. And I readily admit to some second thoughts about declaring it even more widely and boldly as the title of this book. But ever since, every day since that convening, I'm, I'm discovering more about what being dangerous means in my life and why I believe that it's time for us, women and the men who stand with us, at whatever age or place in life's journey, 
to embrace risks and engage with renewed passion and collective purpose in making the world a safer place for women and girls. Pat Mitchell, Becoming a Dangerous Woman. Hey, if you like the rants that I open the show with every day, they're typically published over at HartmanReport.com. Check it out. So Vivek Ramaswamy, during the uh, first Republican debate, was laying out his vision for America in, and by the way, he was the number two guy in the debate, according to the Washington Post, in which he was arguing that we should basically do away with all of our federal agencies. Really, uh, virtually all of them. Just, just shut them down and make them go away. He's not the first person to argue this. David Koch, running on the Libertarian ticket in 1980 for vice president, was arguing the same thing. He had a long list of federal agencies he wanted to shut down. This is not an uncommon thing among billionaires, and Ramaswamy is a billionaire. Uh, you know, they basically want to take America back to the 1920s before we had what they call the welfare state. And if they do so, they will turn America into a failed state. They want to make America into, into something like Haiti or Libya, and that would be a disaster. There's a whole article about it that you can read all the details. It's titled, Is Vivek Ramaswamy a Different Kind of Republican Cat? At HartmanReport.com. Check it out. Thirty-five minutes past the hour. Just wanted to close up a couple of loops that I opened in the in the previous half hour, and then I'll pick up your phone calls. Uh, yesterday, I, start, I started on this rant about the Republicans blocking the assault weapons ban and uh, wandered off into, you know, Ukraine and uh, again. But uh, so let me get back to it. The U.S. Uh, Senate Republicans moved to block a ban on assault weapons. We had this assault weapon ban from 1995 to 2005. I might be off by a year on that. It might have been 96 to 2006 or 94, to, but I think it was 95 to 2000, roughly that 10-year period. And I, I believe it was passed as part of a reconciliation bill, so it had to have, or, or, um, or whatever that system is, you know, where you can only do it for 10 years at a time. And it expired, and, and George W. Bush let it expire, and Congress let it expire. The, you had a Republican-controlled Congress at the time in 2005. This was, you know, post-9-11. And since it has expired, we have seen, you know, tens of millions of assault weapons sold and an explosion in mass slaughter in the United States, much of it committed by these weapons. Now, the, you know, the shooting at the University of Las Vegas campus yesterday was a guy with a pistol, but um, that's the exception, not the rule. So yesterday, Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, the Democratic Senator from, from um, wherever Chuck is from, New York, um, said, let's reauthorize the assault, the assault weapons ban. Let's bring this forward. We just had a mass slaughter. We just had a mass shooting on the University of Las Vegas. It's in the news. Let's have a vote on this. And John Barrasso, the senator from, uh, uh, where is he from? Wyoming, I think? Montana? I'm not sure. It doesn't say in this article. But anyhow, John Barrasso said, nope, I will not allow unanimous consent. It, which is essentially his way of declaring a filibuster. And therefore, instead of 50 votes, which it would have had, it would have passed. The assault weapons ban would have passed the Senate yesterday if it weren't for these arcane Senate rules, which frankly, Chuck Schumer doesn't have the guts to blow up. It would have passed yesterday had not the Republicans declared a filibuster. Number one. Number two, Bridget Ziegler uh, you know, the co-founder of Moms for Liberty, 
uh, has now come out and said that uh, not only uh, was, you know, she's not speaking to her husband raping her girlfriend, but that the woman that he raped or is alleged to have raped, it was her girlfriend, that they were having a sexual relationship. And this is causing some, um, shall we say, consternation among the Moms for Liberty uh, uh, hypocrites. I, you know, I don't delight in, uh, particularly in this kind of thing. I mean, you know, uh, sexual crimes, uh, cr uh, crime is not even the right word. Well, if it's rape, it's crime, obviously, but I'm, I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about her having a, an affair with another woman. Um, sexual behavior is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a human vulnerability. And I, I never delight in somebody else's failures in those areas. But the hypocrisy of trying to trying to you know going after our gay and trans students, and and frankly going after our black students, uh, and Hispanic students and Native American students students with these book bans and this off all all this god awful vile rhetoric, um, you know it, it, it's I guess turnabout is fair play. Anyhow, let's pick up your calls here, Rick in St. Cloud, Minnesota. Hey, Rick, what's on your mind? Yeah, I, you know. People don't really, I don't think people are really looking at the real thing of what fascism would look like in America. You know, I mean, all this transfer of wealth, well, you know, they transferred wealth, but it's your debt. And when fascism hits, if you ain't in an internment camp or you ain't, you know, in some kind of program, you will be paying the debt down, which was really a theft of money to the rich which bought your politicians and turning everything around that way. But also remember, what are they going to do come military? When What are you going to do when they come and take your kid and tell him he's got to report, you know, uh, to the military? Because under a dictatorship, that's what will happen under fascism. Right. Your kid will go wherever he tells you, yeah, and you won't have a choice in that either. Here's the amazing thing, Rick, that I, you know, I've written a couple of op-eds about this over the years, and I probably should write another one. Um, and when I do, I often end up quoting from, they thought they were free, Milton Mayer's uh, 1954 uh, book about uh, you know, when he went to Germany and interviewed a bunch of Germans. And I lived in Germany for a year, and I knew uh, three men who were in the Hitler Youth, and I knew one guy who was in Hitler's intelligence service. And, um, and who had even gone to Spandau Prison to visit Rudolf Hess. Uh, you know, I, I knew Nazis, or ex-Nazis. They were all very, you know, contrite and apologetic at this point in the 1980s, and they're all passed away now. But the one thing that uh, really surprised me that I learned living in Germany and talking to these people was that until basically the, the late 1930s, around 1939 when Hitler invaded Poland, until that point, for the average German, fascism had been a really good thing. The average German loved fascism because Hitler put the country back together, Hitler brought back the middle class, Hitler built the autobahn, the highways, Hitler created Volkswagen, he, he, he built the, you know, one of the first modern mass-produced cars, uh, at least in Germany, you know, he, he was kind of the Henry Ford of Germany. Um, for the average person in Germany, up, at least up until the late 1930s, who wasn't Jewish and who wasn't, you know, a, a, an outspoken political person, life went on just completely normal. People went to school, people went to movies, people, you know, I, I, there was the stuff around the edges, you know, every, every movie started with a newsreel talking about how wonderful Hitler was, and, you know, the newspapers were obviously slanted and tilted, but for people who were apolitical, they didn't notice much difference, and that's 
how it is. That, that's how we got this far in America. When fascism takes over a country, first of all, it doesn't do it suddenly. It does it gradually. Um, and, and we're way down that road here right now. And number two, once it has a solid and complete hold, it typically, until they engage in military adventurism and they need a draft, uh, they typically don't get much pushback from the people because, you know, life just goes on and most people just want to go to work. They want to raise their kids. They want to watch a sitcom on TV at night. They want to see a nice movie on the weekends. They want to have a, you know, a picnic in the summer and go sledding in the winter. And they just don't want to involve themselves in politics. And that's the tragedy of it, Rick. But America fascism is going to be different than that back then. The new uh, fascism in America uh uh, like I said, I don't think it's going to be the happy, you know, because they were coming out of World War One and everything like that. Yeah. First, we're going to, you know, they're going to put the, the 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 screws to our society, which, uh, like I say, people, it's going to be different than that in America. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, we'll see. It's, it's not we'll see. I, I, I mean, they have been putting the screws to our society ever since 1981. I mean, that was Reagan's thing, you know. Uh, was end the middle class and and uh, because 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 the middle class is so dangerous you know rick thank you thanks for the call and thanks for a, a fascinating conversation uh rick in uh, danby new york hey rick what's on your mind hi tom i, I would like to um ask you your opinion on the fa on uh, joe biden running as uh, vice president instead of president and bringing in new blood jamie raskin amy klobuchar uh any Gavin number Newsom. of people knew some. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, be the uh, president emeritus and be vice president. And uh, I just, it, I'd like your opinion. See what you have to say about that. I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think it'll happen, first of all. I, it's never happened before. Um, I, the, the closest you got to that was John Adams' son, um, who ran for president, won, and then after he left the White House, went back to being a member of the House of Representatives. Um, John Quincy Adams, but um, in the 1830s. But I, I don't, I just, I don't see it happening. And, 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 and frankly, I'm not all that worried about Joe Biden's age. Joe Biden is a youthful 80. I get it. He walks like an old man, and that's a big problem. He probably has arthritis, or maybe he's wearing a brace or something. I don't know what it is. He walks like he's being very careful. Um, but his, his mind is sharp, and his, uh, he's working out every day, and he's Riding his bicycle, and I, I, you know, I'm I'm okay with this guy. I, I'm, I'm, in fact, I'm all in favor of this guy, and I, I want to see him serve another four years. So I, I, I all of these efforts around the edges, Rick, and um, not to criticize your suggestion specifically, but you know, uh, to to try to get around or figure out some way or whatever. I, I just don't think they're going to work. Rick, thank you for the call. I mean, you know, God forbid something happens to him between now and then, everything gets thrown up in the air. And we have a whole brand new conversation. And frankly, I think that's what Gavin Newsom is positioning himself for. But, you know, we'll see. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. I should say, I think for Gavin Newsom, that's kind of his plan B. His plan A is what he's positioning himself for is 2028. We'll be right back. And welcome back. 45 minutes past the hour. Ziggy in Oneonta, New York. Hey, Ziggy, what's on your mind today? Welcome back, world traveler. Well, thank you. 
We hit our seventh <laughs> continent. I guess so. Very good. Very good. Um, I'd like to make a prediction for a vice president uh, chill candidate for Trump. Mm-hmm. And if you end up saying I'm crazy, I won't be insulted. But we're talking about Trump, so crazy is a feature. And um, Trump doesn't want any Republicans. He doesn't like any of them. And then he doesn't trust any of them. And if you're talking about Tucker Carlson, he's probably not forgotten that Carlson was stabbing him in the back at uh, Fox. Right, behind his back. I don't think he's going to... Yeah, he's not going to want anyone like that. He's going to want someone who's absolutely loyal. Somebody will follow what he says, does exactly what he wants them to that person to do. And who's not as bright as Tucker Carlson. (laughs) Oh, yeah, definitely not as bright. You're going to love this. Who I've got in mind already. Okay. Okay. And um, is the base will love him. I got a funny feeling that they'll figure out that. Donald Trump Jr. will be the perfect vice presidential candidate for him. Oh, my God. It's like the Castro brothers. And you think about it, you think about it, it means that the king will now have his prince. Yeah. Wow. Now, I might be crazy, but, uh, you know, I was thinking about that, and I said, who else is he? He can't, you know, there might be a couple others that you can think of in that realm, but, uh, you know, it's kind of a guess on my part, you know, but I thought I'd throw it out there as a thought process. That would be incredible. You know, I, Ziggy, you're, you're brilliant. I, it had not even occurred to me, which, which I'm, I'm, like, slapping my forehead, like, why didn't I think of this before? That makes perfect sense. I mean, the only people who trust her are his own family. And it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> right. Which, which as you said, is a, is a feature, people. not a bug for Trump. Yeah, exactly. You know, and he's not going to want any of the other people there. And I can't think of anyone else he'd want. And he'd have to have a complete loyalist. Yeah. And, you know, and again, you know, it, it fills the monarchy for him. So. I, do, you, anyways, do, you, do you know anything about the nepotism laws? I don't. I, you know, this is not. A, no this idea. is not a job. So, so he. It, it, I mean, in civil service, I don't. I don't think you can hire your relatives. But, but uh, the presidency is not civil service. It's it's an elected office. So I, I don't think yeah. there would be any legal impediment to it. Um, yeah, I actually hadn't thought about that because I actually I thought of this uh, the other day when uh, last week uh, when Jefferson was on, he was uh, kind of talking about what a vice president might be, and I started me thinking. I said, "Gee." Well, I haven't thought of that point of it, but uh, as far as I can see, there's nothing to stop him from doing that. And I don't think any of the Republicans would, you know, get mad at him for doing it. What do you think about Jared? I think the base would love it, you know. What do you think about Jared Kushner? Pardon me? Do you think Jared Kushner is just a little too slimy? Maybe. I don't know. I hadn't actually considered him because I don't think uh, Trump actually trusts him. Yeah, I I think you're right. And he's also an observant Jew, which would not go well with much of the Trump base. Um, Right. Yeah. Uh, And and he's got his own $2 billion now. He doesn't need Trump. Don Jr., his whole life depends on daddy. Yeah, very right. interesting, Ziggy. Very interesting. Well, let's see what All other right. people have to say about it. <laughs> yeah, something to ponder on. Anyways, all right, take care. Thanks, Ziggy. All right, bye. It's 49 minutes past the hour. I'll be back with you in 60 seconds. Stay with us.
Hey, thanks so much for sharing our program and for reaching out to our stations and sponsors and letting them know that you're listening. It really means a lot to us. From Los Angeles to Columbia, South Carolina, from Birmingham, Alabama to Baltimore, universal basic income programs are chalking up proof after proof of their viability. Basically, just giving people, low-income people, poor people, somewhere between $500 and $1,500 a month, no strings attached, is lifting people out of poverty, getting them back on track, getting them into solid middle-class jobs, helping their children tremendously. This works. Now, we don't have to do UBI in the United States. We're the only developed country in the world that doesn't have a national health care program. Health expenses are whacking a lot of low-income people. We're the only country, developed country in the world that doesn't have free college education. Education expenses are whacking people. There's a lot we could do. We can subsidize housing. We can subsidize food. We do that with food stamps. We could expand it. There's a lot we could do to, to, to benefit from this. There's a whole report about that over at HartmanReport.com. Check it out. Welcome back. Picking up your calls here. If I can get my screen to open up. There we go. Jackie in Port Townsend, Washington. Hey, Jackie, what's on your mind today? Uh, hi, great show again. Thank you. Uh, just a comment and a short question. I tried to watch the debate, but it it was too disgusting. I couldn't do it. Yeah. And there is a um, gag factor. My in question. Yeah. It's almost like you need my to take you know is, an anti-emetic first. You know some uh, what's that uh, anti-seasickness stuff. Anyhow, but forgive me, Jackie. <laughs> I'm, I'm interrupting you. Go ahead. <laughs> Um, you know, all these cases against Donald Trump, it's the U.S. versus Trump. Right. So I'm wondering why we as citizens and voters don't have the right to a speedy trial. And um, We do. It's in the, the Sixth Amendment. Oh, you mean well, do we have a right for Donald Trump to have a right to a speedy That was an argument that Jack Smith no. actually made. He actually made no, that argument. No, citizens. We have standing, don't we? That's, that's correct. We are citizens. Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right, Jackie. And Jack Smith actually made that argument in one of Trump's efforts to delay the trial. And this was six months ago or so. This was quite some time ago. We talked about it on the program at the time. Jack Smith came back in his rebuttal to the court and said Trump's attempts to delay this trial until after the election are depriving the American citizens of the right to a speedy trial. The right to a speedy trial is not merely the defendant's right. It is also the nation's right. And so right. you're absolutely yeah. right, Jackie. You're absolutely right. So what can we do about this? Well, I think they're moving as fast as they can. I mean, you have to you have to provide for the legal processes that are that are there. Um, uh, I don't I, I, I genuinely don't think that any of these legal efforts are going to stop Trump from running for president. And, uh, I, you know, and, and even if he's convicted in any of them before, you know, a year from now, essentially, uh, or a year from last month, uh, I don't think they'll prevent him from from running for for the president. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But you know, even if he gets convicted, he'll just be out on appeal. He's very good at that. He's been doing it his whole life. Jackie, thank you for the call. Uh, JB in Greensburg, Kentucky. Hey, JB, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Good to have you back. Thank you. And uh, I thank you, brother, for telling the truth. I try my best. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to say uh, we need to all vote Democrat. You know, for the presidency and the Senate and the House, mm -hmm. and then we could destroy the uh, dark money coming in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be yeah. it would be a good starting point. 
It definitely would, JB. Yeah, I don't call them Republicans anymore. I call them Rush Publicans because they're trying to turn this country into Russia. Yeah, there you go. Putin Publicans. Putin Putinlicans. Putlicans. Something like that. Good one. JB, thank you. Thanks for sharing that with us. Susan in Redding, California. Hey, Susan, what's on your mind today? Hi, good morning. Um, I had a question for you. Um, I don't know if you've answered before, but I didn't hear it. So I was going to ask you about Donald Trump and him uh, running for re-election and the 14th Amendment. I heard somebody, reporters say that, because like the court in Colorado, that um, the courts don't have any jurisdiction or right to make a decision on Trump running, that it's supposed to be Congress that makes a decision on guilt or innocence and if he can run or not. And I'm wondering, is that right, or is there something else going on, or do you know um, about that? I that, do. Uh, that the, the law is, that they, they're supposed to, the court, I mean, is not supposed to be deciding it's Congress. Right. Here's, here's uh, the 14th Amendment says that if you engage in insurrection, foment an insurrection, or give aid and comfort to those involved in an insurrection, you may not hold or run for public office in the United States. It's, it's explicit. It's Section 3 of the, of the 14th Amendment. Um, most of the amendments, and the 14th Amendment as well, in Section 5, I believe, have a part that says, and Congress may put this into law with enabling legislation, or words to that effect. Now, the debate right now is whether that prohibition on serving is what's called self-enforcing. In other words, it doesn't require legislation from Congress or whether it is not self-enforcing, it does require legislation from Congress. The Trump lawyers are arguing that Congress needs to say, uh, needs to weigh in on this. The government's, or the, the plaintiff's lawyers, the people who are saying that Trump should not be able to run, are saying that the 14th Amendment stands alone. It is, the it is part of the Constitution. The Constitution is literally the highest law of the land. It does not require additional laws to put it into place. I'm not a lawyer, but I'm inclined to agree with that latter perspective. Um, but the judge in Colorado, the appeals court judge, who, who uh, uh, or maybe it was a, a district court judge, I, I forget, but in, in any case, the, the judge in Colorado who said, yes, Trump committed uh, insurrection, and no, we're not going to keep him off the ballot, was using that rationale that it, it, we can't keep him off the ballot right now because that would be an irrevocable move, essentially, because we're in the middle of, a, of an election. And this really needs to be examined by a higher court. And so it got kicked up to an appeals court, and ultimately it will end up before the Supreme Court. So, you know, stay tuned, That's I really guess. bad, because, yeah, because uh, that just figures that they're just plain word salad to yep. keep Trump uh, from, and keep our, keep our, uh, Constitution from being followed and Trump from having to be um, kicked off, Held following the law. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Susan. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And now there was, Thank you, you know, there much. was well, there was one judge in New Mexico who, uh, in the case of a county official who participated in the January 6th insurrection, uh, prevented him from running for re-election, kicked him out of his job, in fact. So there has been one case that went the way that you and I would like, but that was a local case in in a state court. Uh, but as far as federal cases or, or state courts that, you know, this is, I believe, going to, this, to the uh, Colorado Supreme Court first, uh, we don't know yet. Susan, thank you for the call. We'll be right back. 
You're listening to Tom Hartman. If you're a corporate employee, you know that something unpleasant is afoot when top executives are suddenly issuing statements about how committed they are to their employees, making sure that all of them are treated with dignity and respect. For example, the PR chief of a global outfit named Teleperformance, one of the world's largest call centers, was recently going on and on about how, quote, we value our people and their well-being, safety, and happiness. Why did the corporation feel such a desperate need to proclaim its virtue? Because it's been caught in a nasty scheme to spy on its own workers. Teleperformance, a $6.7 billion global behemoth that handles customer service calls for Amazon, Apple, Uber, etc., saves money on overhead by making most of its 380,000 employees around the world work from their own homes. That can be a convenience for many workers, but a new corporate policy first imposed in March on thousands of its workers in Colombia is an Orwellian nightmare. Teleperformance is pressuring them to sign an eight-page addendum to their employee contracts, allowing corporate-controlled video cameras, electronic audio devices, and data collection tools to be put in their homes to monitor their actions. I work in my bedroom, one employee noted. I don't want to have a camera in my bedroom. Neither would I, and I doubt that Teleperformance's $20 million a year CEO would allow one in his mansion. Uglier yet, the privacy obliterating contract requires that even the children of employees can be spied on at home. Nonetheless, the Colombian worker signed supervisor said she could lose her job if she refused. Of course, Teleperformance Inc. assures us that the data it collects on children is not shared elsewhere. But how do we know that? Trust us, they say. This is Jim Hightower saying, do you? You're listening to X-Ray FM, KXRY Portland at 91.1 and 107.1 FM, and in Nehalem, Manzanita, Wheeler, and Rockaway Beach at 91.7 FM. Streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1907. That was the day that troops from the 22nd Infantry arrived in Goldfield, Nevada, on the orders from President Teddy Roosevelt. 1,900 gold miners organized by the Western Federation of Miners were on strike. They walked out in late November when cash-strapped mine operators began paying them in scrip. Local 77 held considerable power in the mines and the town for two years. They had won the eight-hour day both for their members and established it as an industrial standard throughout Goldfield. By 1907, the mine operators and Nevada Governor John T. Sparks had had enough. Wobblies were on trial elsewhere, falsely accused of murdering Idaho Governor Frank Stoutenberg for his role in the 1899 miner strike in Coeur d'Alene. Many miners in Goldfield had been active in that strike. Sparks feared that with no force capable of protecting the operators, another mine war was inevitable. The mine owners convinced Sparks that the miners were heavily armed and 
capable of dynamiting mine property. At the same time, the operators tried to provoke Local 77 miners to engage in illegal activities for which they could be arrested. They also used the financial panic of 1907 to pay workers in scrip and as a pretext to smash the union, even though the gold standard remained relatively stable. The owners then made their moves. They reduced wages and threatened workers with mass firings and strike breakers. But the union remained disciplined and peaceful during the strike. It was clear by the following March that the presence of federal troops gave the mine owners the impetus they needed to drive local 77 miners out of the mines and out of Goldfield. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. Family homelessness. We are all concerned, but how can we help? X-Ray FM would like listeners to know about Family Promise of Metro East, a local family shelter where community members are part of the solution. Family Promise gave us hope and reminded us that there are people out there who genuinely care about others. With the help of volunteers and supporters, we changed the life of this youth and their family. We provided food, shelter, and resource navigation because we believe that every child deserves food to eat and a warm, safe place to sleep. That is our family promise. Family Promise of Metro East is proud to join other local nonprofits in this year's Give Guide. Find more information at giveguide.org under the home category. Question, the question, the question remains. Which MCs will reign? Which ones will gain? How many suckers will feel pain? Gifted unlimited, rhymes universal. They call me Merce, but never once did I go commercial. Coltrane on the MIC. Cause I would never K-E-double-N-Y-G. A lot of rappers go smooth jazz for new cash Listening to blue bucks in traffic, making moves fast The car paid for, need I say more? Forget how it looks, the house is what I save for Plus some property, it's like playing Monopoly Making mortgage payments instead of playing the lotteries Gotta live it up, before your tickets punch If you ain't living your dream you can't sit with us, crisscross applesauce, root chakra grounded. Your future is determined by the folks in your surroundings. To me, music is the salvation of the world, the healing force of the world. So this hip-hop, this rap music is so vital that they fear it because they don't understand it. And anytime you got a situation like that, People are going to be misconstrued and misinformed. And the question remains, which MCs will reign? Which ones will gain? How many suckers will feel pain? Paid homage to the guru up on sunset. My birthday, the same day that Rob One left. Rest in pain, LA Hip Hop Saint. CBS couldn't be stopping. To this day, they still came. Our era was savage, we got the merit badges Had to be above average just so you could be established Stabbing at America's dream, hoping it bleed So I can siphon off a little more than I need Moments of greed may feed you when it's famine These rhymes is jamming, plus I drop a couple lines in Spanish Jesus te llama, pray and stay away from drama Everything I say on the track I say it to my mama, no shame, bringing honor to a name. The Holy Father gave me life, my grandfather gave me game, 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 game. Please, man, I, I, I try to save the world lyrically. 
And those who listen to my lyrics know that it's, it's reality what I'm kicking. It's, it's lessons for youth, one-on-one, you know, dialogue with the urban youth to try to help them elevate their mind state and, and to expand their awareness as to the obstacles that are going to be in their way. Support for X-Ray FM comes from North Coast Pinball, Nahalem's Little Pinball Sanctuary, located on Highway 101 next to North Coast Mudworks. North Coast Pinball offers monthly tournaments and a selection of games from the 1970s to the present. Learn more at northcoastpinball.com. This program before, in fact, uh, Leo DiCaprio and I made a movie about it. Um, If you go to Google, or excuse me, if you go to YouTube.com and plug in Last Hours DiCaprio Hartman, uh, you will find it. It's called Last Hours. And it's just a little 11-minute video about what happens when the ultimate tipping point gets crossed, which is where the uh, methane crystals frozen on the seafloor, they're called uh, methane hydrates or clathrates, when they start melting. This is what provoked the Permian mass extinction, the, the great dying, which killed 97% of all life on Earth 250 million years ago. And, or 249 million years ago. And now a, a new report has been issued uh, that uh, from, from the University of Exeter uh, uh, in the UK. Uh, Tim Lenton, an Earth system scientist, is the lead author of the report. And it's about uh, 26 tipping points uh, in the report. Now, some of them are bad tipping points. Some of them are actually good tipping points. So it's not all, you know, doom and gloom. Um, but they, he, the, the report says humanity faces an unprecedented risk from tipping points that could unleash a domino effect of irreversible catastrophes across the planet. Uh, this is from reporting by Agence France Presse. Uh, this is the most comprehensive assessment ever conducted of the Earth's invisible tripwires. It was released during the uh, COP meeting. Uh, five of these 26 tipping points are showing signs of tipping. And once a tipping point, you know, it's like a teeter-totter. I mean, you know, once, once one side goes down, as, you know, the, the other side isn't coming back up again. It doesn't, they don't bounce back, and I guess for the teeter-totter it would, but you, you, what's a better analogy for a tipping point? A better analogy for a tipping point is a car coming to the cliff, to the edge of a cliff. And if it keeps on going, it goes off the edge of the cliff. That's the tipping point. There's no going back, right? It's, it, or if you want to go back, it's a lot of effort. So five of these tipping points are showing signs of hitting their, their critical masses, their tipping point points. Um, they include melting ice sheets, which I saw in Antarctica a couple of weeks ago. There were large parts. We, we traveled on this ship to uh, five or six different parts of Antarctica. We were in a couple of the islands around the edge of Antarctica, and then we were directly on the continent itself uh, for two days. And um, areas that 30 years ago had been covered by glaciers are now beach, literally open beach. I have a picture of a seal on a, on a beach, you know, that, that would have been under 10 feet of, 20 feet of ice, you know, thousand-year-old ice, just a couple of decades ago. Uh, the penguins are, are struggling now 
in the Arctic summers, you know, at Christmas time, you know, around Christmas time, um, because it's it's hotter than they're adapted to. Um, the the chief scientist on this ship that I was on just was, uh, uh, you know, laying out the science, and it was just shocking. So anyhow, number one, melting ice sheets. Number two, catastrophic sea level rise. Now that, of course, is the consequence of melting ice sheets, particularly the Antarctic ice sheets, which is what I saw, Louise and I saw when we were there, and the Greenland ice sheets, which I have not seen, um, but I would like to. Um, then there's the mass die-off of tropical coral reefs. This is another one. And these you know, coral reefs are carbon sinks. They're animals, but they, they build uh, shells out of uh, mostly calcium, but cal it's calcium carbonate. It's carbon and calcium. And uh, so this, this, is, this is tough stuff. Um, he said that these tipping points, Tim Lenton, the, the chief scientist, he said this, this represents a threat of a magnitude that is unprecedented for humanity. It also highlighted a range of positive tipping points, the tipping point of electric vehicles. In many European countries, I mean, in, in uh, Norway, for example, you won't be able to buy a gasoline-powered car in another decade. In many of your European countries, you won't be able to buy a ga gasoline-powered car in, in 15 years. Um, here in the United States, you know, the goal is uh, far more modest, but, you know, electric cars are really picking up in popularity uh, for good reason. I mean, they're, they're just crazy fun to drive. Um, you know, the reason you have to have a transmission for a gasoline-powered car is that they have so little torque um, that, you know, you've got to go through the gears to, to, to amplify the torque of the engine, uh, whereas with an electric car, there's no transmission. You hit the, the gas pedal or the electric pedal, and the power goes to the engine, to the, bat, to, the, to the motor, and the motor just could throws you forward. I mean, it's like being in a rocket ship. Um, you know, a lot of these cars, you can go zero to 60 in three and a half seconds or less. I think, uh, Sean, you were telling me the other day, the new Tesla Y is 3.1 seconds, zero to 60 in 3.1 seconds. I mean, that's like taking off at a jet. <laughs> I mean, it's like, actually, it's faster than taking off at a commercial jet. <laughs> So uh, they're fun to drive. There's, there's you know, way fewer moving parts. Uh, I saw a piece, which I thought was probably a hit piece from the fossil fuel industry the other day, suggesting that, you know, the electric cars aren't as reliable as gasoline-powered cars um, because there's, you know, these are brand-new technologies, and some of these cars are having some bugs. You know, they're still working out the bugs. But, hey, you know, I've got a, I've got a car now that has a 100,000-mile warranty on everything, that uh, never needs an oil change, that never needs a fluid change, that never needs lubrication. Um, the only maintenance it requires is rotating the tires and, and updating the computerized system, you know, the software. That's it, as far as I know. And uh, it's... So anyhow, that's happening. That's a, that's a tipping point. Uh, renewable energy is a tipping point. Now, uh, uh, solar and wind are both uh, pretty much everywhere in the world cheaper than any fossil fuel and way cheaper than nuclear. And then the third one is, uh, and I thought this was fascinating that they identified this. I've been wanting to write an op-ed about this for months, and I, I've got it on my, on my list, and one of these days I will get to it. But um, the third leading cause of climate change gases behind transportation and housing is industrial agriculture. 
principally animal agriculture. Um, you know, Ronald Reagan made jokes about cow, cow farts, but uh, it's not a joke. The way that we raise animals for agriculture and the way that we raise uh, edible crops to feed to animals for agriculture is one, uh, it's the third largest contributor to global warming. And what's happening is people are realizing, first off, that that is the case, but probably more importantly, that if you eat a plant-based diet, I mean, I've been a vegetarian since 1966, I think, or 67. And uh, I, I was a vegan for most of the last, much of the last 20 years. I, I do now eat uh, fish once, once a week uh, at the most, maybe twice a month. Um, that's my, my one, uh, you know, because I, I think as humans, we are actually omnivores. I think we're designed to eat a little bit of animal food. But, uh, you know, that's it for me. And I, I, I think I'm healthy. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I have all the indicators that I'm healthy. And, and people are discovering, you know, that a plant-based diet or a largely plant-based diet, for a lot of people, it just means meatless Mondays, you know, or meatless Monday, Tuesdays, or meatless Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or, you know, just eat a steak on Saturday or Friday or whatever. Um, but uh, cutting back on meat actually helps save the planet and extends your life. It reduces your risk of stroke. It reduces your risk of heart disease. It reduces, reduces your risk of diabetes, oddly enough. Um, so anyhow, that, I, I thought this was a fascinating study. Um, the other three tipping points that we are most at risk for are uh, uh, the uh, melting permafrost and the uh, ocean currents. And we've talked about this before, the AMOC, the uh, Atlantic Meridional Overturning Circulation, um, you know, the, the, the great conveyor belt that brings heat to Northern Europe. And if this thing shuts down, then we're going to see worldwide famine like we've never seen before, uh, if, you know, in the history of the human race. There were over 200 researchers who participated in this 400-page study on global tipping, tipping points. It's remarkable. I got to tell you about the, what the Biden administration wants to do about drug prices. That is uh, taking, using, taking advantage of a law that has never been used before by any president. Uh, it's... It can be done by a president. And that, in fact, the Trump administration tried to take off the books. But it could significantly lower the price of the drugs that you're taking if you're taking drugs. I'll tell you about that right after this. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And, of course, I'll be picking up your phone calls. Stay tuned. It's 16 minutes past the hour. Welcome back. Kathy in Dayton, Ohio. Hey, Kathy, what's on your mind today? Oh, hi, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. I've been waiting for Phil Itner to be on because my experience fits right in with uh, his topic today. Um, back in October, I was on a flight from Germany to D.C., and I had the most wonderful opportunity to sit next to a Ukrainian member of parliament. Wow. And we had quite the conversation. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm still, I'm still emotional about it. Um, she told me. Let, let me just tell you two things. We we talked for a very long time, but her biggest fear is number one, is that Orange would be reelected. Number two, is that Americans are going to lose interest 
in funding Ukraine. Yeah. So it has vanished from the news. I, am I mean, the war in Ukraine has, I have not seen a single report on the war in Ukraine, uh, even on MSNBC, which is mostly, you know, uh, when I'm watching commercial television, it's mostly what I'm watching. And, mm -hmm. and I haven't seen a single report in weeks. Well, basically since October 7th, since, since uh, the Israeli situation blew up. And you would think that the media could do both. Well, it, it's funny. I recognized her from being on MSNBC. She's mm -hmm. on constantly. Her job is to come to Congress and lobby for money. Oh, interesting. And um, she's having a very difficult time. So I, yeah. I told her, let me see what I can do. And the mm -hmm. only thing I could think of was to call you and highly, highly encourage all of your viewers to please call your rep and senator. I don't care if they're red or blue. Right. Call them and let them know how interested you are in funding Ukraine. I, I thought Phil said it perfectly when, when he was describing what will happen if Ukraine doesn't get funded. And that's exactly, exactly what's going to happen. And yeah. I, I, I just can't stress enough. Um, you know, when you get to meet somebody up close and personal, uh, it really pulls you into their story. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, ju I just want people to please call. I, I've certainly called mine. I've encouraged everyone I know to do it. So please, y you have access to a lot more people and I, I just hope that um, they will do this. And I just wanted to give a shout out to Norma in Alabama. She is just one of the most inspirational people that you, I mean, you have many that inspire me, but she, of, of all the people, I think she, what she gets out there and does every day, talking to people and encourage them, encouraging them to do this and that, it, it's just she's it's the energizer bunny of activism I, in alabama yes she? she is and i and i really appreciate her yeah. i hope she's listening today if yeah. she's not next time you talk to her pass the word on and yeah. also thank you so much for having david pepper on yesterday mm. he is just a wealth of information of what's going on here and That's i will you're be in Dayton, seeing him Yes, I will be seeing him again uh, next month at our uh, South Dayton Democratic Club. We have a meeting once a month, and he's mm -hmm. going to be there then. So Great. I will encourage him to keep coming on. Okay. But please, every day, tell your, tell your viewers to just call their rep. It I is so that, important. Kathy. I will do that. Thank you for the reminder. I appreciate the call. It's 20 minutes past the hour. Change starts with you. You can be calling your Democratic or Republican representatives to let them know what you think by calling 202-224-3121. It's the Capitol switchboard. It'll get you right through to them. So a lot of people are wondering, why is it in America that we can't have nice things? Why don't we have, you know, the same things every other democracy has. Every other democracy in the world has a national health care system of some form and everybody is covered. We don't. We've got 27 million un uninsured people and over 100 million underinsured people. Why is that? Why is it that every other country in the world offers college education very inexpensively, if not for free? And for here, you go to debt. 
Why is it that we've got our public schools crumbling and other, other countries are doing well? Why is it that we've got Medicare being taken apart by this Medicare Advantage scam and nobody will do anything about it? Well, it turns out the reason why has, it boils down to one thing, one Supreme Court decision, Citizens United, legalizing the bribery of our politicians. There's a whole rant about this over at, at uh, HartmanReport.com. Uh, I think you're, you're going to find it very, very useful. Check it out. Welcome back. 21 minutes past the hour. The Biden administration, this is, this is an amazing thing. I, I, uh, I wrote an op-ed about this uh, maybe a year and a half ago. And at the time, I was encouraging the government to, uh, our federal government to do something, to use what are called marching rights. And, you know, I, I came on the air and I did my rant. And I, you know, from time to time, you do a rant and you just think it kind of drops into the void and nobody hears it and <laughs> doesn't go anywhere. And I'm not claiming any, any role in the Biden administration picking this up, but it looks like its time has come. Uh, opt-in or marching rights are, here's how it works. Virtually all of these drugs, you see, you see these drugs being advertised on TV and particularly some of the drugs that are heavily advertised are literally $1,000 a dose, $10,000 a dose. There are some that are $100,000 a dose. And many of these drugs only cost, you know, $10 to make, $5 to make, 30 cents to make. Some of the more expensive ones, maybe $50 to make. I mean, it doesn't cost $100,000 to make most of these drugs. These, the companies, they say that they're recovering their development costs, but the fact of the matter is that almost all of these drugs are developed with grants from the National Institutes of Health. You and I, through our federal tax dollars that we pay every year, are paying for the development of the vast majority, well over 90% of all the primary drugs. Now, the drug companies will tell you, oh no, we developed you know 60%, 70% of the new drugs last year. The vast majority of those weren't actually new drugs. What they were was tweaks to existing drugs. You take, you know, the original Prozac and you just throw one little hydroxyl group on it or you just change one little atom someplace. And it's essentially the same drug. It does essentially the same thing. Maybe it lasts an hour longer in the body or maybe it, it gets absorbed to 20 minutes faster. But principally, the reason why they do this is not for that. They do this so that they can claim because it has a different chemical formula, it's a different drug. And as a different drug, they can put it back under patent, and for the next, what is it, 18 years, I think the patents are, 17, 19, whatever it is, for, for that patent period, they can charge absurdly high prices. And then once the patent expires, they'll tweak the drug again, and you'll have a brand new you know, antidepressant or a brand new uh, uh, anti-cholesterol drug or a brand new anti-high blood pressure drug or whatever. I mean, you know, we've all seen this happen. So, in fact, most drugs are developed with your and my money. And so part of the law that funds this development says that when a drug company makes a drug that was manufactured as a drug, the development of which was paid for with our dollars, and we believe, the government believes, that the drug company is ripping off the citizens of America because they can, because after we develop the drugs, we literally give them to the drug companies and they get the patent. Right? They own the drug. That if we think that they're ripping us off, that we can force them to lose their patent. We can simply say, you know, you're abusing your patent privilege. We're going we're gonna to march in and take it away from you. Thus, the march in 
privilege. And we'll assign that drug to somebody else. We'll give it to a, to a generic manufacturer. We'll give it to half a dozen companies and let them compete for it. Now, there has been a nine-month review. And geez, it was about nine months ago I did my rant. Um, this is, by the way, this is based on the Bayh-Dole Act of 1980. I mean, this is how far back this goes. It has never been used by any president. Donald Trump tried to take this off the books and did not succeed. But uh, Joe Biden has said, you know, lowering drugs is one of his top priorities. Nearly three in 10 Americans struggle to pay for the drugs they need. U.S. patents, U.S. patients, excuse me, Americans spend about $12,000 per year per person more on medication than the citizens of any other country in the world. You and I are all paying a $1,200 a year tax on average so that these giant drug companies can have huge profits and billionaire CEOs and, and uh, stockholders. Literally. Uh, both the Obama and the Trump administrations rejected using margin uh, abilities. But Biden is going to do it, or it looks like he's going to do it. And I think it's great. And, you know, if you want to reach out to the Biden administration and tell them, you know, please do this. I um, mean, this is this. You're going to hear a lot of yelling and screaming. And you'll probably see ads on TV from the drug companies going, oh, you know, if they do the marching rights, then we won't be able to develop new drugs. And you're going to end up dying because we won't have a new, you know, it's BS. It's just BS. I mean, it's just just like these ads that, you know, where they're trying to prevent the government, you know, they're running ads in favor of big techs. Please don't charge us with antitrust violations. Incredible. I have a, just a quick uh, update on the story of this woman in Texas who is suing to get an abortion. And I'll pick up your calls on the other side of the break. So stay tuned. It's 27 minutes past the hour. It's the Tom Hartman program helping you win the water cooler awards. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. Talk media for the sane among us. Stay tuned. is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book in today's Tom Hartman Book Club is uh, by Harvey J.K., uh, Professor Harvey K. Take hold of our history. Make America radical again. This is from the introduction. On December 1st, 1862, in the midst of the Civil War, just weeks before he was to issue the Emancipation Proclamation, President Abraham Lincoln delivered his annual message to Congress. Lincoln firmly believed that the United States had an historic responsibility to demonstrate to the world that people can govern themselves, make equal rights not just a self-evident truth, but a manifest one, and create a political and economic order in which working people, both white and black, are not compelled to bow to anyone, neither aristocrats nor capitalists. Empowered by tens of thousands of black slaves who were already liberating themselves from bondage by escaping to the Union lines, and increasingly confident that the majority of his fellow Americans would recognize the truth of what he was saying, Lincoln closed his address by calling on them to see that the time had come to remember who they were and what they demanded, or what that demanded. 
He told them that to save the nation and all that it represented, they must live up to the nation's declared revolutionary purpose and promise and act to radically enhance American freedom by bringing an end to slavery. This is a quote from Lincoln's address. Fellow citizens, we cannot escape history. The fiery trial through which we pass will light us down in honor or dishonor to the latest generation. We say we are for the Union. The world will not forget that we say this. We know how to save the Union. The world knows we do know how to save it. We, even we here, hold the power and bear the responsibility. In giving freedom to the slave, we assure freedom to the free, honorable alike in what we give and what we preserve. We shall nobly save or meanly lose the last best hope of earth. We too, end of quote from Lincoln, back to Harvey. We too cannot escape history. Our own struggle to save the nation and the promise it proclaims has begun. Finally, after more than 40 years of fear-driven class war and culture war campaigns against the democratic achievements of generations, the hard-won rights of workers, women and people of color, and the very memory of how they were secure, is secured. And now, both in the wake of the election debacle of 2016, which gave the presidency to the corrupt, mendacious, racist, sexist, and treacherous demagogue Donald Trump, and continued control of Congress to the formerly conservative but increasingly reactionary Republican Party, and in the face of intensified class and culture war campaigns, we the people have come not only to recognize that American democratic life is in jeopardy, but also to mobilize in hopes of saving it. Millions of us have rallied to the resistance and expressed our democratic fears and desires in action. In the historic Women's March and March of For Our Lives of Young People, the protests, demonstrations, and legal actions to defend the lives and rights of immigrants and refugees, the Me Too movement to combat sexual assault and harassment, the massive teacher strikes for higher pay and better funding of public schools in states red and blue, and the enthusiastic canvassing and campaigning for a blue wave to win back Congress in the 2018 midterm elections. But resistance is not enough. The time has come for us to remember who we are and what that demands. The time has come for us to embrace our radical history. The history of how a generation of Americans, high and low, and in all their diversity, not only turned their colonial rebellion into a war for independence, but also imbued American life, whether they all intended it or not, with radical imperative and impulse by declaring a revolutionary promise of freedom, equality, and democracy for all. The history of how generations of radicals and reformers served as the prophetic memory of that promise and how generations of ordinary men and women, native-born and immigrant, struggled to make real the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and to expand not only the we in we the people, but also the powers of the people. And most especially in view of the crises we ourselves face, the history of how our greatest generations confronted and prevailed over the forces that threatened to destroy the nation and bury its revolutionary promise in the 1770s, 1860s, and 1930s and 1940s, not to mention the 1960s, by acting to make the United States, both inspired by Washington, Lincoln, and FDR, and pushing them to go farther than they might otherwise have gone, radically freer, more equal, and more democratic than ever before. 
The time has come to take hold of that history and make America radical again. I've titled this collection of my speeches and essays, Take Hold of Our History, Make America Radical Again, for reasons that will become obvious. And yet I cannot help but confess that if I had had to title it otherwise, I would have been sorely tempted to use, with full attribution, the title Max Lerner gave to his 1938 work, It Is Later Than You Think, The Need for a Militant Democracy. While it may not seem so, the crisis we face is no less demanding of action urgent action than that which confronted his generation. The book Take Hold of Our History by Harvey J.K. From international trade policy to immigration policy to housing, we've got all kinds of topics the wars between Republicans and Democrats, the Republican efforts to induce fascism in the United States. A great selection of opinions will be found over at HartmanReport.com. When I was a little kid, my grandmother had a piano and I loved to play it. I, 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 I was incompetent, <laughs> but I was figuring out all kinds of stuff. And then I kind of got away from it and, you know, went to school and things got busy and just lost track of it. Well, now there's this fascinating new study out of the University of, of Geneva, Switzerland, that is making me think maybe I should go back and learn the piano. Uh, it, what they found was that they, they, they took a group of 132 healthy uh, older adults, uh, retired 62 to 78 years old. Half of them learned the piano. Half of them took music classes uh, without learning the piano. And what they found was that those who learned the piano actually had uh, the, the strongest increase in their memory, in their, in, their, in their mental competence, their mental faculties. Those who took the music classes also, also did well, but the, learning the piano was a huge step. So uh, check it out. There's a whole long rant about this over at HartmanReport.com. Check it out. And welcome back. 35 minutes past the hour. And uh, just wanted to bring you up to date on this. Uh, the woman, Kate Cox, uh, people are no longer obscuring their names. Remember Jane Doe? Um, uh, she is the 31-year-old mother of two who wanted to have a third child. She had C-sections for her two, first two children. She has a child who has, uh, she has a pregnancy right now, 20 weeks, that uh, has a condition called uh, full trisotomy, full trisomy 18. And this is a chromosomal, ab chromosomal abnormality. In other words, this child is severely, I mean, just genetically damaged and will not survive uh, very long after birth, if it even survives to birth. And so she sued. Now, there are probably hundreds of women in Texas who have a similar problem who don't have the, the wealth, the money to sue. But she sued. And uh, this uh, judge, Travis County District Judge Maya Guerrera Gamble, gave her a temporary restraining order uh, when she did on Thursday uh, today. And when she did, Kate Cox burst into tears, uh, saying, "Yes, you can have a you can have an abortion uh, because uh, a this this fetus is not going to survive, and b because Kate Cox has already had two previous C sections." giving birth to a malformed baby like this could apparently end her fertility, her ability to have any baby in the future. And so if she has an abortion, she can try to get pregnant again and have a third child, which is what she and her husband want. 
In fact, the judge pointed that out. The judge said the idea that Ms. Cox wants desperately to be a parent and this law might actually cause her to lose that ability is shocking and would be a genuine miscarriage of justice. Now, just to show you how, how bizarre the so-called right to life people are on this, uh, Texas Right to Life issued a statement about this. And this is proof positive that what we're talking about here is not life, it's not logic, it's not the rights of people or children or women or anything. It is a, a religious fetish. Because what they are claiming want to happen is they want to force her to carry this child, this, this, this pregnancy to term, give birth to the baby and then watch it die. They want to force her to do that. This is the exact quote. The compassionate approach to these heartbreaking diagnoses is perinatal, that's after birth, perinatal palliative care, which honors rather than ends the child's life. These people are sick. All right, let's pick up your calls here. Lori in Ocala, Florida. Hey, Lori, what's on your mind today? Okay, Tom. <laughs> Having survived three ectopic pregnancies, my heart goes out Whoa. to the woman. It is uh, my opinion that the most likely candidate for vice president is Rick Scott. Um, and really? I think that, uh, yeah, I'm in Florida. Yeah. I'm your Canadian in Florida. <laughs> yeah. And I think that those two are, put your forefinger and the finger next to it together, uh, they're attached. And, and there is thorough 100% trust. That's just what I think. Well, Rick Scott um, also, certainly has the money. He's almost a billionaire with all that money that he made with yeah. his, his uh, multi-billion dollar fraud um, against Medicare. He's only loyal to, yes, he's only loyal to Donald Trump. Interesting. Um, anyway, now yeah. that Kevin McCarthy has announced his retirement and will not complete his term, I believe that there will be an oh my God, an OMG moment in the GOP. I think it'll cause enough Republicans to choose to do the right thing and start jumping ship. It's it's one thing to like the power and the position and the money. It's quite another to be permanently owned by the orange Jesus. Yeah, did you see There's Patrick no Mah McHenry just bailed out? The guy oh, who was I Speaker of the House for a I week? I, come on, I just put this down. I kind of briefly put my notes down. I had no idea. But yes, I think this is going to be a tipping point, if we may. That was a wonderful article put out by The Guardian, written by uh, Canadians. And I read it the other day. This is a tipping point. Patrick McHenry, good. Um, I think as a result, I'll argue, I will argue, that the House will flip to the Dems before the next session. And Dems should be prepared to take advantage of this. Yes. And that's, you know, all I have to say. I really believe, how can it not? For those people that are wondering, oh, gee, you think he'll get smart? You think he'll change? Guess what? You're yeah. either all in or you're out. Yeah, I, I agree. And if, the Dem, if, it, if it does flip and if the Dems do take mm -hmm. it back and if we do get, you know, uh, uh, the ability to actually pass Democratic base and Hakeem Jeffries is the, is the, uh, the uh, Speaker of the House, to pass legislation, then the pressure is really going to be on Chuck Schumer to blow up the filibuster and bring back H.R. 1, you know, the For the People Act, so that we can clean up you our elections. Amen. Amen so, to that. We yeah. can do this. Although you we still have, we right still have the problem of, uh, of uh, you know, mansion and cinema, but, uh, well, we'll see. Well, uh, 
Let's yeah. get let's get the money back first. Let's get the house back, and we'll worry about getting them. There you go. Thank you, Lori. Excellent, excellent thoughts. Fascinating. Appreciate it. Sharon in Houston, Texas. Hey, Sharon. Speaking of your state, what's up? Hi. How do you do? Good. What's on your mind? Hi. Well, I just wanted to say a couple of things because this show is so fascinating. And I was listening in the car. I just wanted to uh, firstly make a quick statement about uh, Trump talking to Putin and saying not to, you know, to discontinue arms Mm. and or, you know, the threats, et cetera, et cetera, to people, uh, re-elections. I'm married to a a man who was uh, born Hungarian uh, to a woman from a uh, concentration camp long ago. And coming from behind the Iron Curtain in 1989, I had no idea that he had just come up from South America. And when I met him and basically adored him on the first day i had no idea that that was his first like drop into the united states Mm -hmm. and uh it was it was just you know it took a long time for for me to explain to him how things worked here i really wanted to support him but the fact was is that um he also in turn um explained to me that the world is much more complex than Americans understand because, of course, their countries go back for so many years with sure. borders changing. You know, you're, you're Hungarian, you're Austro-German, you're yep. uh, Transylvanian, you're, you know, and it just goes back and forth. And, of course, that's a lot of monarchies. thing is, is that... Um, he explained to me how complex the world is and, you know, took me on trips to uh, Cape Town where he explained, you know, that Mandela's statues one day when uh, maybe it's not as peaceful as it was the year that we were there, that those statues could get ripped down just like Stalin sure. or Lenin's or anything. So, Sharon, where uh, are you going Previous with heroes. Okay, well, I wanted to say the world is very complex, and I don't think that, uh, with no disrespect, that it is realistic to think that we understand everything that goes on behind the scenes with people who are talking. Oh, I don't disagree with that at all. (laughs) Yes, so if, if there's a thing that, you know, appears on the surface to be that these two people are talking and we have you know decided to persuade one party or another not to provide uh weapons to ukraine i don't think that uh in any case we'll ever understand uh where governments are concerned uh, the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth yeah sadly that's Um, that's that's kind of the, the arc of history <laughs> you're validating. That said, though, I, I, I think you can have a, a, a fairly broad understanding of what's going on. And you know, Putin clearly thought he could walk into Ukraine and he was going to take it in three days. I mean, he had he had told his generals that they were all ready for it. They, uh, you know, they they just they weren't ready for the for the pushback that they got. But Sharon, I got I got to run. Uh, thank you very much for the call. It's 44 minutes past the hour. We'll be right back. 
You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And now, of course, Putin thinks that he can get Trump to get the Republicans to help him win his little war and reclaim his land that he thinks is his. And welcome back. Uh, Joe in San Antonio, Texas. Hey, Joe, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, how you doing? Good. What's I up? heard your rant this morning. Uh, mm-hmm. Just awesome. The only other person I've heard talk like that is me talking <laughs> okay. to the dog. <laughs> Good me on you, Joe. Dog. Yeah, man, I, I swear. I, I, I don't have that many friends who, they understand me. They just will never listen long enough. And I've been, <laughs> I've been on this orange, you know what, since he started. And I haven't been wrong yet yeah. about him. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a little disappointed. Uh, I've been saying, you know, Merrick Garden's behind it. It takes time. It takes time. Well, Tom, how much time will it take? I agree. It, he has had enough time. We he, got he, he we got we got charges on it. He, I'm sorry, sir. He he pissed away two years. Forgive my French, Joe, but uh, he, he yeah. It was a terrible but mistake. Dadgummit, are we going to do anything? Are we going to get anything on the table? Are we going to get any damn charges against this guy who's trying to ruin our country? Yeah. Yeah, well, I think he's being held to account finally, but I, I would still like to see a follow-up on the Mueller investigation. I mean, you know, they were they were trying to find out what There's happened in the 2016 election. There's another niche right there. There's another niche right there. Yeah. Get yeah. on that. Let's do something. Yeah. We were, they were saying it all over the Internet before. I'm all off that stuff now. But they said, we got to stop this guy before he runs again. Well, lo and behold, here we are. I'm, I'm with you. Just about there. I'm with you, Joe. There. And it's scary. And I listened to you for inspiration. But <laughs> it sounds like sometimes we got a chance, eh, but maybe we don't have that great a chance. You know? Well, you know, you keep uh, fighting the good fight. You, you, just, you just can't give up. You, you have to acknowledge reality, even when, it, when it's not something that you'd like. Um, but uh, I don't think that. that we can let that demoralize us. You know, I, I, I love Bernie's saying that, uh, you know, uh, despair is not an option. I quote it myself all the time. And, uh, I, you know, it, it, we just got to plug along. Joe, I need to move along, but thank you for the call, and thanks for your kind words. All right. Grace in Covina, California. Hey, Grace, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Hey, Grace. I've been listening to you forever. Oh, great. I love Thank your you. program. Your rant that you had this morning, I applauded after you finished. I couldn't <laughs> help myself. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it was great. And I really just I, I, uh, listened to your part on reference to the electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask you a personal question. What kind of car do you have? We can, bought an Ionic. We bought an Ionic Five. It's made by Hyundai. It's an SUV. It's an electric SUV. Oh, that's I, wonderful. Okay, yeah, it's a great car. Well, I, I I love your show, and I'm going to make a monthly donation. You just inspired me so much, but um, I really love your program. Well, thank you, okay? and thanks for supporting Free Speech TV. And I got to tell you, Grace. By the way, that rant that I did this morning, um, yesterday afternoon. Uh, actually, Louise called me while I was on the air, or you know, during a break, and she said, "I've got the perfect rant for you for tomorrow." And she said, and "She said, Republicans, you're never going to get the stink off you of Donald Trump." And, I, and so I went home yesterday afternoon, and, and over lunch we brainstormed it, and she pretty much outlined the whole thing. I mean, I, all credit goes to my wife. Uh, you know, that's the, wonderful. The, 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 <laughs> she and Sean produce this program every day, and. And uh, she she does most of the content stuff or a lot of the content, you know, f- finding stories and figuring wow. out what we're going to talk about. So it's a team effort here. Well, you do. It's a team effort. You guys Grace. are a great team, and I love it. Just keep it up. Thank okay. you so much for your program. Thank you, Grace. Okay. Nice to hear from you. Okay. 
Good talking to you. We'll be back in uh, 60 seconds with more of your calls. It's the Tom Hartman program. Uh, speaking the truth, the Republican Party and the, uh, the, the orange. Uh, I'm lacking a noun that I can say on the air. Um, uh, would really rather you didn't know. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. support progressive radio if you're listening to us on a commercial station call their advertisers and let them know you're listening if you're listening to us on pacifica or one of our many nonprofit stations please support them when they do their fundraising drives thanks for supporting progressive talk radio and tag your it so maga mike and the republicans want a religious test for people running for public office they want to know that you are sufficiently christian to be worthy of being elected Right. Maga Mike is one of these uh, seven mountain evangelicals. There are seven domains where these dominionists believe that we need to have religion completely take them over. Education, religion, family, business, government, military, arts and entertainment, and the media. Seriously. This is not what Jesus was preaching when he said, give unto Caesar what is Caesar and unto, unto God what is God's. This is the opposite, in fact, of what Jesus was teaching. It's the opposite of Matthew 25, where Jesus said, the only way to get to heaven is by feeding the hungry, healing the sick, helping the poor. It's, this is counter-Christian, anti-Christian, in fact. In fact, I think you could say it is the Antichrist's work. There's a piece about it over at HartmanReport.com. Check it out. And welcome back. Picking up your calls here. Charles in Miami. Hey, Charles, what's on your mind today? Hey, how you doing today, Tom? Good. What's up? Okay, I was just calling because um, I guess a couple of days, but I guess we'll talk about... Charles, this, uh, can you get your mouth any, any closer to the microphone? Because I'm having a hard time hearing you over the background noise. Okay, is this better? Yeah, yeah. What's up? Right. No, um, it'll be a thought like this. You know, I think with assault rifles, I think. Charles, I'm still having a hard time head. hearing you. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to put you on hold, and you can work it out with um, uh, with Mark and and uh, figure out how to get a, a microphone that works. Philip in uh, Fredericksburg, Virginia. Hey, Philip, what's on your mind today? Hey, good afternoon, Tom. Glad to be on. So I was telling um, Sean about, and I'm sure if you're tracking this uh, budding situation here in between Venezuela and uh Diana in South America. I read about where, it this morning. Uh, yeah, it, oh. looks, it looks to me like Maduro is is going to try the old trick of let's have a little war to, to support our politics. Or is it something yeah. else in your mind? Well, well, there's something else. There's there's the oil. Uh, I'm not sure if you're uh -huh. tracking that either. That, uh, they found there was a muddy load of oil that they found uh, off of uh, that Escobar Basin. Uh, and the Guyana government is, you know, they were just handing over leases and selling leases. And uh, actually, actually, Exxon has some leases out there. And uh, so Moderna, even though Venezuela is an oil-rich country, you know, they see an opportunity now to grab, to make a grab for this. Now, this, this land has been settled hmm. since back, you know, in 18, 1899. Yeah, it goes back more than a century, uh, I know. Yeah, and uh, you know, I mean, I'm from Guyana, and I grew up there. You know, we mm. it's always been 
you know, occasionally some disputes over it, and but you know, never not anything to this extent. And uh, so they had this referendum last Sunday, where uh, you know they, they supposedly voted uh, ninety six percent of the the Venezuelans voted to uh, to pretty much uh, discount the ICJ's uh, decision to you know kind of stand down on that. And so what Moderna is looking to do now is take basically what's essentially two-thirds of Guyana, just yeah. a, a grab. Basically annex the country, Guyana. just, just like, the country. Uh, like Saddam tried to do with Kuwait. Exactly. Or like, try, like Putin's it, trying to do with Ukraine. Exactly. Issue uh, ID cards and, and just make it part of Venezuela. Now, the interesting part of this now is that, you know, there's the United States is now, because, of course, Exxon is there, and there's oil interest there. The United States is now, just today, uh, I think the, the White House put out a statement saying that they're standing with Guyana. Uh, the United States Security Council is supposed to be meeting t- uh, tomorrow to, uh, to address the issue. Brazil is also uh, putting up, they're starting to do exercises of making sure to protect their borders as well. Because mm-hmm. I guess there's a concern with them, you know, with Venezuela moving in, and the U.S. Southern Command is down there, and they're starting to do uh, military exercises with Ghana. So this this is a situation that could, you know, quickly escalate. I'm thinking, and uh, because of all of the interest there, and also one of the points that I'd like to add is that China also has significant uh, interest with in Guyana right now. Over the past, I'd say, decade or so, they've been investing heavily in that country. So there's something to watch. And I know yeah. Joy Reid spoke about it yesterday on, uh, on, on MSNBC, but I haven't heard much uh, in, in the U.S. press. The BBC is uh, covering it extensively, but not sure. much in the U.S. press. Well, I'll, ha- I'll, keep, I'll keep an eye on it, Philip. I've been to Guyana. I've been to Venezuela. And I, I have some oh, familiarity okay. with the area. Um, in fact, I, I drove uh, Rachel Maddow all over Guyana <laughs> once. Uh, long story, uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a beautiful country, and and uh, uh, so I, I'm, I'm I'll check it out. Philip, thanks for the heads up. Yes, sir. Thank you. Good, good to hear from you, Bradley in Northport, Michigan. Hey, Bradley, what's on your mind today? Hey, how are you doing, Tom? Certainly appreciate the show, the insight, expertise in so many areas Thank on you. a daily basis. Yeah, really appreciated. <laughs> the man with the in, uh, insight into Don Jr. as uh, a VP. I thought that's novel, but yeah. it. it I th- you know, sense. thinking about it even more, I'm thinking that if Donald yeah. Trump is going to pick one of his kids to be VP, it, it might not, uh, you know, Ziggy thought it was going to be Don Jr. I think it might be Ivanka. I don't think she would want to accept it. I, I, I don't think so, but I, I think he certainly would. He's as egotistical yeah. every day. And then you so get the women crazy. vote, you know, and all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. He's a dreamboat. So, anyway, I, uh, I told your screener uh, uh, I have 10 thoughts to cause pause for Trump. It really is quick. Number one, pardons of Trump himself, family, January 6th rioters, and multiple traitors. Number two, Supreme Courts. He already has three too many. Number three, it'd be a four year vendetta tour looking to own the libs and repay those not being loyal and ruin them out even worse. Yep. Uh, number four, more of his misogynic, demeaning style of behavior. Number five, continuous lying, hedging, truth. 
Number six, alignment and support from the three percenters, Oath Keepers, Proud Boys, QAnon, white nationalists, and racists of all stripes. Number seven, painful appearance, reappearance, Roger Stone, Steve Bannon, Rudy Giuliani. Eight, reestablishment, special friendship, Putin, yeah. North Korea, Matt. Bradley, I'm, I'm running out of time, but that's a hell of a list right there. I'm sorry I've got to cut you off, but uh, we'll continue the conversation another time. That's, that's amazing. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport, so get out there, get active, tag, you're it. Do we have uh, tomorrow's Anything Goes Friday, Sean? Do we have uh, Congressman Con- no, It's just gonna be just going to be us for three hours. We'll have a great Anything Goes Friday, so get your calls ready, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. I'll catch up with you on the other side. I did say tag, you're it, didn't I? Tag, you're it. Okay. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. America's economic and political inequality has led Workaday Americans to exclaim, the system is broken, let's fix it. But there's another version of this protest that I'm hearing more frequently these days. The system is fixed, let's break it. That certainly applies to such rigged systems as money in politics and voter suppression, but it's also relevant to seemingly mundane matters that restrain our personal freedoms. One of the insidious fixes we need to break is the claim by brand-name corporations that we consumers must be banned by law from repairing the products they sell to us. The weak battery in your cell phone, the fuel sensor in a farmer's tractor, some gizmo in the toaster you bought, a fuse in your business's truck. You could fix all of these yourself or, with a little hassle, take the problem to a local repair shop. But no, such manufacturing powerhouses as Apple, John Deere, and Panasonic assert that only their corporate technicians are authorized to open the product, which you own, to make it work again. So you are expected to deliver it to their distant facility, wait however many days or weeks they tell you, and pay an inflated price. They've literally fixed the fix for consumer products. They impose their control by making the products as needlessly complicated as possible, then claiming that the complexity is their patented proprietary product. Thus, they say, they don't have to provide repair manuals or sell repair tools to consumers or independent shops. Gotcha. To give their closed profiteering system the force of law, the giants have deployed armies of lobbyists and lawyers to legislatures and courts, arguing that self-repair people really are scoundrels trying to circumvent safety and environmental rules. This is Jim Hyatt.